live. Go ahead, Ray. Welcome to Caveman Corner. Let's get going, guys. All right, we're here with Professor Josh Ketri. Um, Professor Ketri is uh, someone I've looked up to for a very long time. Uh, like I said in the header, he's a black belt in business and black belt on the mat. So welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you for coming on. Guys, thanks so much for having me. Like, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on, uh, both of you. Like, I, I've been uh, kind of watching what you guys are doing with your Caveman's Corner. Like, you guys have both been announcing at K4, which is, like, awesome. And you guys really have been, like, kind of the voice of K4 behind the scenes, like, helping it grow. And uh, K4 had blown up. Like, we sold out the venue last time, and the fights were awesome. And, and you guys had a big part of that. And we had a big Caveman Corner sign up in the, in the rafters. And, like, yeah, uh, appreciate that. When you invited me out, I'm, I was excited. I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know, like, uh, it's local for, for me. I know you guys have, like, people on from all over the place, but it's uh, it's an honor to be on. So thanks so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. That was great. Just today, I was at Wagman shopping, and this guy came up to me. He's like, you do the announcing for K4, right? He's like, yeah. And you're Keith, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> he's like, he's, I want to get on the car. I was like, yeah, man, message Keith. He'll get you on the car. So it's really growing. Everywhere I go, people run into me. And most of the time, I think I'm Keith, but uh, – Sometimes they uh, they all know K four so yeah everyone thinks you're his brother too they're like that's Keith's brother right I'm like sort of you know not really by blood but you know yeah. it's about that's right so awesome. I started training with you forever ago we were white belts we didn't even really have like a black belt instructor uh, can you just walk me through your journey to black belt yeah I can walk you through my journey to black belt so I my first class I ever took was in 1997 so that's how long ago that was. Um, I, I was just out of high school. I moved to North Carolina with my friend. And um, of course, I was a fan of UFC and like, you know, Hoist Gracie and all that. And I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and I heard that Hoist had like an affiliation, like a couple hours away in this town called Hillsborough. So uh, I asked my buddy if he wanted to go there. I had some local buddies and stuff like that. I'm like, you guys want to go? And a couple of them said, yeah. So we started going up there. And there was a blue belt instructor and like a real athletic dude, a big dude. And there's a couple like tough guys, like, you know, back in the day, jujitsu was different than it is now where they would just kick your ass and basically be like, see, jujitsu works. But you know, it wasn't very welcoming for beginning students. Right. It was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like they just would beat you up basically. And seeing a purple belt back then was like seeing a unicorn. And I didn't even know black belts really existed. I was like, I don't think they're real. They're real. Um, so I, I think I went like, a full year of training without ever seeing a black belt. The highest I saw was a purple belt. So one of my first times up there, um, I think it was actually my very first time, uh, there was a female guest purple belt there. And so I was with my one buddy and he's like really jacked and everything. And, you know, his tattoos, he looks kind of like a villain in the, in the James Bond movie. And they're like, all right, all right go roll with uh, this girl, basically. And the girl was like, you know, she was petite, not not super petite, but she was like, athletic build maybe like 130 pounds uh you could tell she was in shape but man she mopped the floor with like both of us right she like just destroyed <laughs> us like i was getting armbar choke leg lock just getting murdered right and my buddy too my buddy like like i said was a big jack dude we're driving back and he was all like depressed like oh that was so embarrassing i'm never going back that was like the worst thing ever and i had the exact opposite reaction i was like dude that was amazing like look at yourself in the mirror the fact that that just happened proves that that art is real that's, that's like a proof you know that's a result and um it was like some something pure and something honest about it that i just loved and then i was addicted i started going like two three times a week even though it was a four hour round trip for me 
I was driving two hours to train and then I would drive back and I'd be pulling over on the side of the road, like puking, like my hands, like, were, like you know, numb and you know, learn, learning basically like the scissor sweep, you know, I'd know like one move for a month and then, and then like, you know, that was it, but then just go get killed on the mats. And then, um, then I ended up moving back to Buffalo, you know, and, um, I was training a little bit with some of my friends, um, and we were training just kind of like randomly, like wherever we could, like, like Primo, um, and you, there was like a very few people around that, like, you know, had like subtle, uh, had interest in training, but we didn't have proper training. So we were just kind of like just throwing things together, you know, sometimes like a famous, uh, grappler would come to town and we'd, we'd train with them or whatever, but it was nothing structured like it is now. And, um, that went on and off for a while. And then um, I, I started having like UFC parties at my house. Like me, my, my roommate, Mike Dizak, we both loved uh, MMA. He ended up being like a pro fighter, moved to, to Vegas and everything like that. And we'd have parties at my house. But like you, have, this is back when like it was like Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz, you know. And um, so then we still had like a little grappling group that we would train. Uh, we trained in my backyard a lot. We had mats that we just open up in the backyard and train. And um, one day I got a phone call. It was like from... Uh, from Josh Koscheck and he was getting ready for like the ultimate fighter season one. And he didn't, there was nobody in Buffalo to train with. And he had heard about our little group and asked if we'd come train. So it was like a couple wrestler guys that I train with and DZAC and Dan Holly and like, you know, just people like that. There's a whole, there's a nice little group of us that uh, I train. Some of them fought MMA and we just went and trained with, uh, with Koscheck at UB for the first season one of ultimate fighter. And, um, you know, Koscheck, he didn't really know jujitsu, but he was such a good grappler and he learned so fast, you know, he was just uh, like a sponge and that he did pretty good, you know, in the season one, he became really famous from that season one. And um, then from there, I took a break. Like I didn't train for a, a few years after, uh, after training with Koscheck and that, um, you know, I kind of trained here and there, but then um, Espia like came to town, you know, I, I skipped a big part here. I'm sorry. I got my blue belt in 2001. Um, so I got my blue belt from Kyle Saunders in Rochester. So like when I moved back to North Carolina, Kyle was in, in Rochester. He was a purple belt at the time. And I started going there and I trained there for like two years. Uh, and I got my, my, or my blue belt from him and, uh, with my friend, Josh. And I was the first blue belt in Buffalo. And Josh was the second blue belt in Buffalo that, that I know of. And so we were going there training. Um, then there was a, a black belt that came there named Alexandre. I trained with him a little bit. Um, and then, then Kostya came and then, then I took a break. So there was like a, a nice little pause break in there for a few years um, where I didn't really train that much. And then, um, and then uh, Chuck Anzalone came to town and like he opened a school up in like Lockport and he was like a brown belt. I was hearing about him. And uh, I started training a little bit again here and there with, with some friends again. And I really wanted to get into a structured class. And so when he moved to his school, the Buffalo, and I see a bunch of people were going there. Um, I decided to, to go there and sign up, you know, and uh, started training there. And like, honestly, Chuck had like, he had a monopoly on jujitsu. Like he had, a, he had like the, the academy in Buffalo to start. Right. And every, like all the academies that exist in Buffalo, but now are somehow, as far as I know, somehow fractures or splinters or trickle down from that academy. Like, like his academy was like kind of the, the hub. And then everyone, that train there, it ended up fracturing, but all those fractures ended up making like, you know, Western New York MMA or Jamestown or like all the other schools. And then they fractured and they fractured. And so, you know, like I kind of look back <clears throat> at that time, it was like, uh, 
there are some special times in the because there's like, you know, all the people that you see in the jujitsu community at one point were, were kind of like on the mats there. Um, and it was the time where I, you know, I ended up getting my purple belt, my brown belt, my black belt from Chuck. Uh, he was under um, De La Hiva at first and then switched to Cyborg. And so that's that's the affiliation that we had for a long time. And you were there for a while too. Yeah, you know? for sure. And um, and you know we all we all trained there. And then and then like I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna on a podcast talk bad about anyone. But we we had um, he had falling outs with people. You know that's it's no secret. And the school fractured. And there's there's uh, other schools that started. And. It might have been a bad thing at the time. Like Chuck could have had a monopoly in Buffalo if he wanted to. He could have opened seven schools, had all black belts working at those schools. But the jujitsu probably wouldn't have grown the same because there wouldn't have been the competition between the schools and like to be able to have competitions in the future because everyone would, would be on the same team. So in a way, it was kind of a blessing that uh, that he didn't get along so well with everyone and it, it kind of fractured off because it ended up opening a, a bunch of different schools and like. Um, you know, eventually, well, when I was a brown belt, I, I started um, showing jujitsu to some of the employees where I work. I work at a, at a you know big restaurant brewery. I wanted to get back to the employees, so I offered like a a free jujitsu program, and we did it in one of the banquet rooms. We had mats, we'd set them up, and we started doing like free jujitsu programs in some of the schools around Buffalo. Um, you know, where we we use those mats for those programs to try to spread jujitsu to people, and then it just came to the point where like enough people were interested in and we could have had our own location. So that's when uh, Keith, Keith Ferrance and myself uh, decided to, to open up our own school. Um, and we opened up on, on main street, like on the tracks, downtown Buffalo. And um, shortly after that, uh, professor Larry, he joined up, Larry Backless joined up. Um, and um, then we had the school there for about a year and I decided that we were going to do a tournament then. So we can get into the tournament in a little bit. Uh, I'll just finish kind of like my trajectory to black belt there. I ended up getting my black belt after I opened uh, opened the school with with Keith and with Larry. Um, Larry and I got our black belts together. Uh, it was about seven years ago, I think. So because I know you know you get your each degree every three years, and I got my second degree last year, or actually two years ago. So maybe it was like eight years ago. Uh, so that's been open. Buffalo United Martial Arts has been open for. Uh, about eight years now. So eight years in, in August will be will be that. And then we end up moving down to Buffalo Riverworks, which is like, a, if you're not familiar with Buffalo, it's a pretty cool location downtown. There's like a Ferris wheel and that's where we have the fights. And it's kind of like this mismatch of all things Buffalo. There's like grain silos and ice skating and just random like kayaking and zip lining and, you know, concerts and a brewery. And we just kind of like uh, did a mismatch of everything cool we could think of. And uh, one of them is jujitsu tournaments and MMA fights. And, uh, and our academy happens to be in the little front room there. So it's pretty cool. That's kind of my story to, to Black Belt, my journey for jujitsu in Buffalo. So, yeah. I appreciate it very much. And part of your journey got me into jujitsu too. Like, we used to train together for a long time. I went to a tournament and you, like, smoked me, passed my guard. Like, I didn't know jujitsu. I was like, man, I got to go train over Buffalo BJJ too. I got to get good like Josh. Oh. Um, like man, it was a start of me, and I, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, now That's you're a black belt. You ascended back, competed again, and you beat me this time. So maybe we need a third time to go. Again. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, Josh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Buffalo jujitsu history, right there. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a lot more, but like I'm, I'm kind of delicate with the history of Buffalo because like I like 
when I get into the tournament, like, um, I, do you guys want to talk about the tournament now? Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Let's just jump into the tournament. That's perfect. All right. So, <laughs> uh, the tournament's been going on for about this will be the eighth year as well. Um, and when I started the tournament, right, the the idea for the tournament, it was very scary. Right, I was very nervous because like of all the fractured schools in Buffalo, like there's like people don't like each other, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, you know, there's bad blood between people and they, they hold grudges and stuff like that. But I always consider myself pretty diplomatic. You know, I, I try to take every person. I don't make judgments based on other people's judgments. I'll listen to them. I'll take caution. If someone's like, be careful, that person's not trustworthy. I'll, I'll be cautious, but I don't like to make judgments based on other people's judgments. I like to make judgments based on my own judgments. So I, up to that point, I had um, been pretty much cool with everyone. Like all the schools that fractured, I still talked to pretty much everyone. I didn't feel like I had a problem with anyone. And uh, we were opening Riverworks and it was kind of like a dream come true to me. Like I was part of opening Riverworks and I was like, this is just a, a location to me that can be, to can showcase Buffalo in so many ways. And I felt like I was in a position both in the jiu-jitsu community and the Buffalo community to, to do something. Uh, but Riverworks wasn't built yet, but I knew it was being built. And, I, and my, my original vision was I really wanted to put uh, a jiu-jitsu tournament alongside of, there was a judo tournament that happened every Memorial Day weekend. It used to happen at UB. It was like a really, really big tournament. For some reason, I forget the name of the tournament. The Can-Ams. Can-Ams. Um, and I really wanted to be alongside of it. That was like my, my vision. And so I was like, I'm going to do the, the first tournament on that weekend. We ended up doing it in like a little rinky-dink place in like West Seneca. This like, it was really small. It was really hard, really expensive. Um, we only had like 100 competitors in the first tournament. I lost pretty much $20,000 or, or more actually the first tournament. Like just took a risk and went into debt, like bought mats, like did, did you know, rented the place. I paid everyone really well. I just like, I want to make sure that we had a good vibe so that the next year, if, if it grew, it would like sustain itself. And um, what I did was I reached, I wanted to reach out to someone um, in a, in a school that had like other connections that, that like reach across an olive branch and do it with someone. So at the time I reached across to Mike Attilis. Mike Attilis was over at uh, Western New York MMA at the time. And he was old school too. He had trained with us with like Koshek back in the day. So I know him a long time. He was a competitor and had competed a lot around the country. Like I competed like a bunch, but not as much as him. Like he competed a lot. And honestly, like it was terrifying, like running, I mean, running a tournament. I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't like there's a book, like go do this. It was just like, all right, I'm going to do it and figure it out as I go. But I, it would be a lot helpful if I had people with me that understood a little bit about what that meant to do, right? So uh, Catillus uh, was was interested, you know, we talked and like, so we, we worked on an arrangement where like uh, he handled certain things, I handled certain things and we, we started the, the Buffalo Classic and then we, you know, we did that first one and it was like, it, it was like, I was in tears at one point because like, you know, privately, but I was really sad because like the turnout was so much lower than I expected. And I worked really hard. I put a lot of effort into like trying to reach out to people and get people excited. And I lost my shirt on it. And like, I still, we stuck with it though. We're like, let, you know, we lost it once. So let's see if we can build off of it. It was a lot of work, man. Like I was just like hauling mats by myself and like setting up and breaking down. It was just so much work. And then um, the second year, uh, it gained momentum and like a lot of other people from a lot of other schools kind of recognized what we were trying to do. And like people, like I asked for help. I just put a help, like 
can anyone help on the internet, like set up and break down? So it's like, not so much. And then like, you know, if three people show up to set up, that's like five. And if five people show up, that feels like 10. And if 10 people show up, that feels like 20. And if 20 people show up, you set up in like five minutes. It's like done. Where the first day it took me like 10 hours to do it with like a couple people. You know what I mean? And, and then I lost, so I like, I worked my butt off and like lost money. It was like, it was pretty painful. But then the next year, like, you know, we lost a little money, but not like that much. Then the next year, like it broke even. And then, then it started making money. But even the first year we, we wanted to use it for like, um, like a, a, a social good. We wanted to like, like all the businesses that, that I'm involved in, like try my best to, to attach a social like benefit to them. Right. Like I believe like, um, people, people sometimes think capitalism is like a bad word and it can be like, there's like, uh, plenty of bad companies, like and plenty of companies that will do bad things if you just let them. Right. But I believe there are ethical companies and they need to adhere to like five pillars, like five pillars of, of business. And those five pillars are first, it has to take care of itself. Like if the business doesn't take care of itself and it goes broke, it's not going to help the other four pillars. Right. Then it needs to take care of its employees, the people that like help it. You know, I'm like a huge believer in that. Like anytime I have a say in like taking care of people that help a a business, I think it's really, really important to do that. I'm really big on like, um, like percent based, you know, like bonuses, things like that. Like if we do good, everyone does good. If we don't do good, like then maybe everyone doesn't do as good because <laughs> that's like fair. Right. And then, um, but like take care of your employees, like the best you can, you know, and, and to do that, like you really need transparency, like try to show everyone like kind of what, what's going on with the business. Right. The business should take care of like, uh, the community, like however it can. So, for our, you know, for this tournament, we raise money for every single one. We don't, we charge a door fee and then donate it. Like, so like we don't really charge a door, door fee. Like you don't have to donate at the door if you don't want to. Like, that's cool. If you, if you can't afford it or something like that, that's fine. Like most tournaments will take the money and just say, you got to pay this at the door. But we don't do that. Uh, we ask for a donation and then we pick a cause and we've donated money uh, every year from everything for, uh, for like Vector Jiu-Jitsu, which um, cool little program down in Jackson, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, where they would do jujitsu with a really low income, like a uh, school, like a, a high school. And the student, like the actual school itself, something had like a 40% graduation rate, really low. But of the students that were part of Vector Jiu-Jitsu, they had really close to 100% graduation rate from the students that were part of the jujitsu program. And so they needed funding for things like, you know, geese and mats and things like that. So the first couple of years we donated to that. Then we started doing some local charities too. We did like um, uh, shelters and like like just programs for foster kids, just things like that. So it, we tie our success to the success of some charity that we thought was was a good local charity too. Um, so so you have like a business that takes care of itself, its employees, its community, um, its customers, right? Like that's important to take care of your customers. If you don't take care of your customers, you're not going to end up taking care of yourself. So we try to give a really good product with, with uh, the fight family tournaments. We bring refs in, like we bring a whole ref system in from like out of the country actually. And uh, they help us referee and try to make it unbiased and fair and high level. So we try to mimic the IBJJF rule set, not because it's my favorite rule set or anything, but because it's the pinnacle of like the world championships and the Pan Ams. And if local students want to compete in those tournaments, we wanted them to be prepared uh, for the etiquette and the rule set of what that meant. And it's worked, man. Like we've had a, a bunch of local students like win masters worlds and get really far in the world championships. 
Um, even some of our own students like uh, have won the master worlds. So it's like really cool. And, and I think like having the etiquette here and understanding like the rule set really lays a ground foundation to, um, to achieve that. So that's what we try to give to the customers. And the last is I think all businesses should take care of the environment. And that's kind of like a vague thing, but like, I mean, the fight family uh, brand and the fight family thing, there's not really an environment damage that we do. So there's not really anything that we can take care of. You know what I mean? But if you're like a, a business that has something like pollution or something, you should try to, you know, adhere to that. I know it's a hot butt button political issue, like talking about, uh, you know, DEIs and in the environment, credit carbon and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just like the environment is something we all share. We just shouldn't pollute. We shouldn't just pollute our environment. We should be courteous of each other. And um, that, that doesn't have to mean a lot, but if you have a business that could potentially harm that, it should be considered, right? Not some mandated top-down thing, but just a consideration of what, what I consider the five pillars of a ethical business, right? So we built Five Family with, with that in mind um, and the, the tournament series. And then it started growing. We've had the, the high watermark, I think, is like 470 or 460 competitors uh, signed up. The average is probably like two... Between two and 250 is like kind of standard. Like the, the, the one year that we had like close to 500, the Canadian government decided to ban jujitsu tournaments and lump it in with MMA. So when they did that, like all of Canada was like, uh, we're coming down, be ready. So we were, uh, that was a, the fall tournament too. That was like the, uh, for the open. So it was Gi and Nogi. It was, it was wildly, it was super fun. But our average tournament is probably between two and 300 people. Uh, for the one coming up right now, we have over 200 signed up, which is always a good sign. And Buffalo is like notorious for procrastinating. So <laughs> I imagine that we'll get, uh, you know, a nice little chunk of people signing up in the next two days here. So if you're thinking about signing up, you mind if I plug it real quick? No, I want you to 100%. That's right. why we're doing this. If you're thinking about signing up, then you only got two days left to sign up. So you have till Tuesday, uh, May. What, what is Tuesday? I don't can't see my calendar. Maybe May 25th, Third. I think. 23rd, Tuesday, May uh, 23rd. Yeah, today's the 21st. All right, Tuesday, 23rd. May 23rd, you have until 11.59 p.m. to sign up. And then you have until Wednesday at 11.59 p.m. to change your divisions. And the reason we do this is this, this is how the big tournaments do it. You're going to have to sign up to your division ahead of time, and then there will be a cutoff date, and then you're going to have to change your divisions uh, by a cutoff date. And then, like, if you're not familiar with IBJJF rules, you're going to have to make weight with a gi on so you have to wear your uniform uh to make weight so i always recommend like don't don't cut more weight than you need to right like so last year i competed for the first time in a long time and i was able to make featherweight or maybe like i don't even remember one 148 was when i weighed with the gi on um like the day of and uh but i was walking around at that at the time like now i'm a little heavy i'm a lot heavier now actually i, I added dairy back in. i have a special diet i added dairy back in my diet and so I was able to put on like 10 to 15 pounds. So I fluctuate a lot, a lot heavier. Now I feel a lot better. Um, I felt good then too, but I felt just light. Like, you know what I mean? Like I would get passing was my thing and I would try to pass and I'd feel like I was getting thrown around. And I was like, oh, I'm not used to this little peanut. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was uh, just like, I wouldn't recommend like sucking too much weight. Cause you don't get to weigh in way before your tournament, you weigh in right before your match. So if you're not rehydrated, you're going to feel that. Right. Yeah, you get like an hour to, to rehydrate. And uh, it was awesome because we just went up weight class. I, I walk around like one 155-ish. I usually cut down and then you're like, ah, we'll just, I'm just going to go up anyway. So like, 
it worked out really good. Yeah, um, it was cool. I'm, I'm waiting for uh, I'm waiting for this end of this podcast. We're gonna sign up today, and then it'll be me and Cameron at Division Two. So another uh, nice. battle of the old guys. Yeah, nice. Two good training uh, fighters. I like that. He's got a tricky spider guard. Yeah. So I'm giving away your secrets, Cam. I remember. So remember the spider <laughs> guard. Circle the hands back out. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's tricky. He's got a good guard. I'm so, gonna try and uh, see if I can get a fifty dollar bet with him. Like we'll donate to each other's charity. I'll have him donate to feed more. I'll donate to his ministry, and then. I think it'd be a cool thing. Hopefully, I can get that done before the tournament. Nice, dude. That's cool. That's all. Yeah. That always add a little spice to something that you're doing, right? That, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, it still goes a good cost. Michael T. Schultz is looking uh, to bring back the nogi. Oh, for for the tournament? Yeah. We do the nogi in the fall tournament, but we haven't done the fall tournament in a couple of years because of you know we had COVID and like it was a mess, you know. So like last year, like it was to the point where the tournament was barely viable again because like not enough people signed up really um you know there's like a break-even point and it was kind of close this year i think we're going to be okay but um last year was like like that and you know so to do the fall tournament i didn't want to like lose money like twice you know what i mean so we're kind of <laughs> waiting waiting for it to see if it can uh if it can gain legs again which i think it will we got so many good schools in the area it's just like we need the professors to to like if they want to like push push competition and I know like like some schools had fallings out or whatever, but this is like, you know, it's nothing personal here. It's just a tournament, right? You know, and so it's good for the students. And like, I always tell them, like, listen, if you're listening to this, any of the professors in Buffalo, if you're listening, if you have students that can't afford to do the tournament, like reach out to us. There's all different kinds of ways. First of all, we donate a bunch of, a bunch of uh, entry fees every year to people that can't afford it. But also like we have volunteer opportunities like you can volunteer to help set up, to break down, to work a table, to do like stuff like that for your entry fee or half your entry fee or whatever. And we'll work with people. We're not like nobody should be not competing because they can't afford it. Right. That that that's the way I look at it. Um, we've all been in, in circumstances like that. And like, yeah, we'll give we'll, we'll, if every every professor out there can have a couple of scholarships to give to their students that they think should be competing and learning this stuff. And then eventually we, we'd love to, I know Katilis and I have talked about this, love to have a way where uh, you win your way into bigger tournaments, you know, kind of like poker, you win your way into the World Series of Poker, like there's, let's, you know, or they do that for the Ontario Open. I don't know why we couldn't do that here. We could, but that's a pretty big risk for us because that's like all of a sudden, all right, now we need to have seven, ten thousand $10,000 set aside to, for that. And if we lose money, then we have to lose that too, because like we're going to be impeccable with our word no matter what. If we run a tournament, we're going to pay for whatever we said we're going to pay for. But it's not really fair to fall back on us if, if the tournament can't support itself. So if the tournament gains traction again, we are going to, you know, we've already talked about upping the the prizes and having things that are like, like really, really valuable. But um, that's up to the community. Like that's not, not really up to us, you know. So um, I just wanted to, uh, you, you gave me one of those donation entries before I wanted to, to finish the story. Um, I let one of my older gentlemen, Butch, you know, Butch, uh, right. Uh, yeah. I, I know I Butch too. Him. Yeah. 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 So like he was the one that got the free entry back then. He was having a hard time. He could only pay for his kid to enter and he wanted to do it so bad, but he put the money down for his kid entry. And I was like, man, I, I can get you in. So he did it. He went against Ramon. He won his first match. He lost the nice. second match, but I encouraged him to go on. And then he fought. And that was like his big goal was to be able to fight. And, I think you had a big part of that, and I want to thank you for that too. Wait, but Butch is like an older guy, right? A little bit yeah, older. yeah, that, yeah, the older Butch guy. He was like a brown belt in judo. 
No, 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 no. Not not Grandpa Bush, not the old Bush, not the one that used to give us all the videos in the old day. Yeah, uh, yeah. One of my student Bush. He's actually not doing too good. He's, uh, I'll talk to you about it off air, but uh, oh, he's right. in uh, ill health right now. Oh, no. Yeah, I still talk to him all the time. Well, uh, yeah. If you want to talk about health, like I had some ill health problems too. You know, I had some, uh, some rough times with my health. And uh, Butch, if you're listening, I can empathize with that. Like, keep fighting, dude. Like, that's uh, don't give up, man. Keep moving forward until you're stopped. And like, I believe that our bodies are resilient. And like, there's ways, there's ways to find ways around things that I didn't even realize existed. Like two years ago, if you told me what happened to me would have happened to me, I would have thought that you were like just telling a story. Like, I would have made fun of you probably. Right. Do you want me to go into that? Do you want to branch off into some health stuff? Let's just uh, close up the tournament real quick, and then we'll we'll, we'll jump right into that. All right. Um, so we'll add a link into where to sign up at the end of this, or somehow we'll, we'll figure it out, and I'll, I'll tag it and all the stuff after that. It's um, I'll just say it one time. It's Submission Circuit. So that's the, that's one way. Or you can go to FightFamily.com and find like the, a link to Submission Circuit. So Fight Family kind of like sponsors the tournament and runs the tournament, but it's submissioncircuit.com is where you can sign up so all right so if you're watching and waiting to sign up like jared right here he said procrastinating right now sign <laughs> up right now do it right now yeah make sure that josh can uh, put the fall tournament on so we can do no game me and uh mikey michael t schultz can have a super fight yeah i like this idea a lot <laughs> <laughs> very cool yeah we'll, we'll put a hundred dollars on this one for uh whatever charity that we each like that, that's awesome i love that he's down for too like i had him in we we uh we we did uh i had him come in and do a seminar and now we're like cross training and uh all kinds of stuff so like i love mike and i'm glad yeah. he's doing well over at spar there uh schultz is in <laughs> that's a that's a cool thing about our uh our community is like we train with everyone. We keep, we can compete against them and then like hug it out. Like, like when I was, I made like a, a clip, a, a video clip of our tournament the one year we had a drone and stuff and I shot the video and I was just home, like going through the clips and what really stood out to me. And I didn't realize this was like after every single match, everyone stops, they get your hand raised, you know, and then they turn and hug each other. Everyone didn't matter who it was. And I made a little clip of all the people hugging like at the end. Cause I just thought it was so cool. I never realized it was like that prevalent where like, you know, no one ever told you to hug after a match, but like every single person did, did it, you know? And I'm like, that's, that's jujitsu. Like we, we push each other to make the art better, to make the art more and more honest and more pure, you know? And like, like to me, that's what jujitsu is. Like people ask me like, like, what's your favorite part about jujitsu? Or, or, or like someone will come in and be like, what has jujitsu done for your life? Right? Like to me, the number one thing for me is that like, it forced me to be honest with myself. Like I, I couldn't lie anymore. And this is like everyone, or I don't know why I say everyone, but like almost everyone I knew growing up was a liar at some point, right? Would lie about things and lie about their, like their, their status kind of lie about like who they were. Not like big lies, but just like they thought they were bigger than they were and different than they were. And they wouldn't really test themselves in the right way. And in jujitsu, when it's one-on-one -on -one and, and you're out there, there's no lying. You can't lie. And it really helps if you, are brutally honest with yourself. I'm like, all right, I suck in this position. I'm going to work on this position. And that's such a valuable lesson. And once I learned that lesson, like from jujitsu, um, it translated into what, what, you know, is commonly known now 
as the growth mindset, that the idea that like you can grow, like you're, none of your traits are fixed. Your intelligence is not a fixed trait. Your strength is not a fixed trait. Your speed is not a fixed trait. But most importantly, your skills, they're not fixed traits. And almost everything is, is a skill. You can learn almost anything. Um, and jujitsu, like translated to, so, like once I learned that from jujitsu, I like put it into every aspect of my life. I put it into my relationships. I was like, I'm going to work on my relationships honestly. Now, like when I have a problem with like my wife or my family or my dad, like, I just talk directly. I said, like, this is the problem we're having. Let's fix this problem. Because it's so much easier than like hiding your problem or playing games or whatever. No, let's just shoot straight. And like, let's not puff up. Let's not shrink. Let's just talk about the problem and then we can grow from it. Right. And if you do that in jujitsu, that's how all jujitsu was created. Like I'm stuck in this position. Does this work? I'm, you know, no. Does this work? No. Does this work? Oh, sort of. Well, what if I change the angle? Oh, a little better. You know, and then like, that's how jujitsu is made by being honest and, and talking and sharing information with people. Right. So that is like, to me is the most important thing that, that I learned from jujitsu that and like, um, and, and then we see like after a match, no one's mad or really upset. I mean, sometimes you see little kids get upset, you know, or people, you know, <laughs> people that don't throw, throw their emotions. But most people are like, man, I respect you for for being a warrior with me in, in the uh, in the arena here and like furthering the art and furthering my progress and my growth. Let's hug. And so when I see all those people hugging, I was like, this is so cool. You know, this is like, like I didn't realize that was a thing till the drone <laughs> footage showed me like over and over again. And I was like, wow, this is like. It made me smile. Every time I watch it, I smile. I'm like, this is awesome, you know? So that that's really uh, the main core thing that, that I learned from jiu-jitsu is, is how to be honest with myself and how to learn growth mindset. And and it taught me growth mindset without knowing what growth mindset was. And then when I eventually learned what growth mindset was, like from the, you know, I read a bunch of books on it and stuff like that, then I became a student of growth mindset. Like I've read so much about it. Like, a big fan of like Josh Waitzkin. He's like a professional chess player and he writes about it in his book. I ended up training jujitsu with Josh Waitzkin and like, you know, talking about growth mindset afterwards, which was really cool. But then when like coach McDermott came to the Buffalo bills and started talking about trust the process, you know, that's growth mindset talk. I'm like, he's a growth mindset guy. I got so excited. I told everyone like, we're, we're going to make the playoffs. I'm like, you watch, we're going to grow. And they did, they grew. Now there's one more big growth to take, right? That's, that's win the super bowl or at least get to the yep. super bowl. But he's at least proven the growth mindset again at a, at a high level, showing that you can take a team that hasn't made the playoffs in 20 years and become a, a perennial playoff team by keeping the mindset of always looking and being honest and growing. And they're always changing. You watch their, I love watching like the coaching side of the bills because of the growth mindset, but, but that I all learned that from, from jujitsu. Right. So just thought I'd share that. I like that a lot. And yeah. I, that kind of leads into my next question is, like all of a sudden, like once you started getting your black belt and you really got Buma going, you started to really be outspoken. You became more of an ambassador for jujitsu, which I love to see as a jujitsu practitioner. And then I watched, it was more than just jujitsu. You became like an ambassador for like the growth mindset and life itself. And I watch you post about things and take more of interest in local government and all kinds of stuff. And this is when I really started to like, this is someone I want to associate with. This is someone I want to unite with. You know, like I want to try and model my gym after your gym. Um, I want uh, integrity to be like, boom, man, we've, we've got together. We've done a kid training session and yeah. like our teams train with each other. And I think it's really awesome. Yeah. I think you're doing an awesome job there, man. Like, I, first of all, thank you. Like those of you that don't know, 
over Christmas during the storm, we had um, one of our pipes burst at our academy. And the National Guard was downtown. There was like seven feet of snow or something. So the National Guard wouldn't even let us get down there. I could just see on the cameras outside the jiu-jitsu school, seven feet of snow just melting away. And I was like, something's going on. There's like water at the school. Like, and our entire school was flooded. All of our mats were ruined. And it was a mess. It took us like weeks to clean it up. And first of all, thank you to everyone that helped us clean it up. Um, and uh, we cleaned it up. We got new mats. But in that time, you reached out to all of our students and myself and said, hey, come here and train and, you know, invited us with open arms. And, man, your school felt like home. Like, I love training there. You guys are awesome. Good, good jujitsu practice. Your kids are really good. Kids are awesome, man. When they came to our school to train with our guys, like, they were really good. Um, but thank you for inviting us. And I feel like your, your model at, at Integrity um, is the kind of model I want to associate with, too. Like, I, I think and, – and the Caveman's Corner and everything. Like, it's uh, – it's important that we have groups of people working together. Well, like you're talking about, like I, I've been involved in politics and things like that. It's really not so much politics for me. It's, I started like studying systems, just systems of people and systems of everything. And I started seeing just how corrupt the systems are, right? I started looking and seeing like, man, these systems are corrupt. Of course, if the system's run by a person that has integrity, then the system won't be corrupt. But so many people can be swayed to be, even if they're a good person, they can be swayed to do bad things and then the whole system falls apart. And so there's so many of our systems are just corrupted, right? It's just like, you know, systems of government, systems, like all the systems are corrupted. Our systems of food, our system, our schooling systems, anything that can be corrupted, I believe, like has been. So when I, when I see all these systems, to me, I started studying systems and seeing ways to like fix them and then started getting outspoken about like we need to be able to fix these systems like like i see ways to fix them but it requires like people working together in like a decentralized kind of fashion like where there's not really a leader because if you have a leader a leader will be corrupted it will happen it doesn't matter you can corrupt people so many different ways you can corrupt them with blackmail you can corrupt them with uh, fear you can corrupt them with money you can corrupt them with violence you can corrupt them with violence to their family like you need systems of people that are just decentralized working in the same direction. And those systems are really hard to corrupt. And there's a lot of examples and like, I, we could dive into this really deep and maybe this is for a different podcast, but like, um, you know, there's just like, like examples of systems that haven't been corrupted um, in the world that exist are, are mostly decentralized systems, right? Like for a simple example is Bitcoin, like the, the money system, people don't understand it. So they think that it's been corrupted. They think that like, you know, this big scandal that happened with FTX recently, um, that was a centralized entity controlling controlling the Bitcoin um, codes, basically, the keys, and they corrupted it. But it wasn't Bitcoin itself got corrupted. It was a centralized system. People trusted something that was corrupted, right? And so, but Bitcoin itself has never been corrupted. It's never been uh, duplicated. And, you know, people don't understand what it, what it really is. But to me, it was like one of the greatest inventions in the last 15 years. We'll see if it stands up to the test of time to government's coming for it, for sure. They're going to try to try to take it out uh, because they see the, the danger in, in letting people have their own money. Right. All money is people think that money, people always give me an argument like, Oh, gold is better than the dollar. It all of it's the same. All of it to me is all money is, is trust. Like it's a unit of trust between two people. Like if I say this gold bar, you trust that it has value because it has value, you know, intrinsically on the market, but the dollar has trust or like 
The Juan has trust. Well, if we all decide to trust Bitcoin, that's just as good as trusting anything else. It's just our decision to trust it, right? But because there's no centralized, anything that's centralized can be corrupted. And when you corrupt it, you get like a, a big cache of things. So if you corrupt like, um, let's say you corrupt a server that has everyone's passwords on it, you might get millions and millions of passwords. But if everyone kept their own passwords on a thumb drive at home and didn't give it to a centralized server, that's what basically Bitcoin is, then you, you can't only corrupt one node of the system. You can't corrupt the whole thing. It's impossible because you have to go to each individual person to corrupt it, right? It would be like if I had my bar of gold, you had your bar of gold. It would be a lot harder to get all the gold in the country if everybody had one coin than if we took all those coins and put it in one central place and said, okay, that central place, everybody, every criminal would be looking at it, thinking of a way to get to it, right? So the only really way to have a good system is to be decentralized and then it won't be corrupted and then be transparent. So like I try to do this in my businesses. I decentralize my own leadership as much as I can. I, I don't barely ever tell people what to do. I say, what do you guys think we should do? I take votes and say like, what are we going to do? And then listen. And man, when I tell you this, like listening is powerful tool. It's not just like some tool that's like, uh, okay, it's a good ethical, makes you feel good. No, no. It's better to listen than it is to lead and say, this is what we're going to do. Uh, the results. Like I, I live a life with uh, all of our tournament medals and all of our, our trophies have a little saying on it. It says nullius in verba. And that means take nobody's word, right? Be results driven. Like matter results matter most, right? And so nullius in verba. And so like, if I look at the results of my life, the times I've listened to the group of people that I've been in charge of, anytime I've been in charge of a group, if I really listen, it just works. And it's easy. It's an easy way to lead. I don't got to do much. I just go, all right, guys, what do you guys think we should do? All right, let's try that. And then, first of all, it deflects responsibility off me. I'm like, you guys are the ones that said to do this, not me, right? <laughs> but but uh, it works, like, insanely well. Like, I can think of, you know, uh, you know, some restaurants that I work at and breweries, these are like monster restaurants. Like in terms of the country, they're in like the top 100 restaurants in the country and independently owned restaurants for locations. There's so many amazing ideas that came backwards, that came from the group to the top. Like very, there's very good ideas that came from management too, but like so many amazing ones came backwards, like really mind-blowingly amazing ones. And when you listen to those ideas, you saw results, Right. So like, I, I highly recommend, like, if you're in charge of a, of a business or a group of people, like I would pass out questionnaires. Every meeting I have, I'd pass out questionnaires and be like, what would you guys do here? What would you do here? What would you do here? And uh, right now I'm, I'm considering uh, joining a company where we work on AI, it's like artificial intelligence, where it gets group consensus in using AI in real time from people. So it's, it's not AI like using like a computer model. It's AI using individual people that plug in and we come up with one, we push and pull on ideas until we get one idea out of the group. And it's scalable, like um, with like, like, like a hive mindset, basically. So you have like little groups of 15, and then those groups of 15 plug into a big group, into a big group. And so you could come up with like um, consensus ideas for massive groups, and then, then we plug into government and fix government, then plug into businesses and fix businesses. But we need a tool first. So that's kind of a, a side project that I'm, I'm considering right now really uh diving into pretty hard so that, that's for a different topic too but these are all systems these are all systems related problems right and um yeah so that's like the topic like we could get into this really deep i write a sub stack i'm gonna plug myself really quick it's called the rationalist 
Society of Problem Solvers. I have a bunch of guest writers and myself, and we try to solve systematic problems from like all from society, from our, our food systems to our government systems to systems of money to systems of anything, really. It can be all different kinds of systems and problems. Any problem that we can come up with to try to solve, uh, we will we'll, we'll like write about it and talk about it. And like our culture, like right now we have a lot of cultural problems in America where we're split. Uh, people are being pushed apart. And then when you go out in the real world and talk to people, everyone's pretty cool. Like I can get along with almost everyone. So I'm like, this divide is like, it's fake. It's a fake divide, but there's a few hot button topics. However, like when you talk to people like on those really hot button topics, you can come to a rational consensus. And I always think if we had like an artificial intelligence to bring us all together, that we trusted the system, it was a transparent system. We said, all right, this is my vote. This is what I'm voting for in the system. We could push and pull our ideas and come up with really good solutions to our problems, right? We could come up with, with solutions to even the worst, most hot button problems that exist, like gun control, abortion, like these, these really push and pull ideas. We can say, listen, let's come up with a solution and shelf it. We don't need to fight over it for the next 50 years, for the next 100 years. We can say, look, this is the best route. We're going to try to follow this line. Let's all agree to it. And then shelf the idea and just focus on that problem that we agreed to together. But we need to be have a tool to get to consensus first. So that's kind of like what I'm, we're working on now. And uh, I'm going to find a way to, to find this. Tool. Even if the tool that I'm working on right now isn't the right tool, um, I'm going to keep looking for that tool. You know, I think that, that that's what needs to be be found right now to fix that. So that's that, that's my what you're talking about with, um, you know, government and what I write about all the time in, in my sub stacks. Uh, is is just uh, bringing people together to solve problems. And it started with the jiu-jitsu community because jiu-jitsu community is problem solvers. We're a group of problem solvers. We have problems and we talk about solutions to those problems. They're grappling problems, but, you know, it's like it's like chess. We have, uh, it's a system. It's a system that looks so crazy and complex to the naked eye. And then you dive into it and it's all, you can break it down into little pieces and then we can understand the system, right? And it's no. crazy because we all work together too. Like there, every possible division that you have online all comes together in a mat, and we all figure out problems together. So, like <laughs> we see it every day in real life. Me and you, for sure, as gym owners, we see like Republicans and Democrats, like pro-life, yeah. like and I, you know, everything. Like they're all together in a mat. They train, and everyone can get along. So it's really just talking about things and figuring issues out. Like it's, it's shouldn't be as hard as it is today. It's 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 simple if we if we like. <laughs> If we make a code of honor and live by that code, and that code of honor needs to be results. We need to say, listen, what results do we want to see? Like, you can argue about guns all you want, right? But we still want the results of less school shootings, right? We still want the results of a safe society that can't be taken over by tyrannical government. So where's the rationality there? Well, how do we get to that point? Is there a way? I can think of like a lot of ways to get there that doesn't involve just taking all the guns away from everyone or just letting anyone go buy a gun and just shoot everyone. There's right. a rational way that we can talk about. And because we have states, we could try one idea here, one idea here, and work it out, right? But we can't do it unless we have a tool. Like, our politicians don't even know what we want. They don't, they're not taking, like, feedback from us. They're just telling us top down, this is what you're doing. That's not how a democracy is supposed to work. We're supposed to be part of the solution. So we need to be part of the solution. We need to be results driven. So that means like we have to like adhere to results. If we're not seeing the results we want, we got to keep tweaking the systems, right? And not be afraid to admit when we're wrong and say, listen, be honest with ourselves. Have that jujitsu mindset and be like, we're not good in this position. Let's change what we're doing. 
Like, like I always give the example of the war on drugs. It's a horrible failure, but the results that we're seeing are making it worse. There's some, we gotta do something different. Like that's just not right. But the war on drugs exists because of the corruption. And it's like, we know that it's not really, they're not really trying to reduce addiction. They're not really trying to reduce overdoses. They're using it as a tool to do a whole bunch of other stuff that has nothing to do with us. So we need to take like responsibility and take control back. And we can, we can absolutely do that. Um, like, but we need to get together. We need to, they don't want us to get together. They want us divided. We need to say, fuck that. We're not, sorry. I don't know if you can swear on your podcast. Right, right, right. But we that's right. what we need It's an emotional <laughs> response, right? It's, it's an emotional response because we're being attacked, like, and we're being taken advantage of. And what they fear most is the tyranny of the masses. And we need to tear in the masses and put a big spotlight back on government. All this surveillance stuff they want to put on us, like surveilling our phones and like digital uh, currencies where it's centralized, which is like the opposite of Bitcoin. We hear about central bank digital currencies. These are scary things if you understand what they are. Or like them controlling the food supply and like all this stuff. This is stuff that we need to say no. And like we need to have our own our own solutions to. And, and we need to be part of the solutions. And we, we should be. We can be, right? It's just like we need to decide to be and find a way. There can't be a leader, though. Every time there's a leader that rises up, look what happens to John F. Kennedy Jr. or Martin Luther King. They're going to take you out. Or they're going to corrupt you some other way with Epstein. or what, what, You know what I mean? There's, there's no way to do it. Uh, we need to create a new system that makes the old one obsolete and just plug that system in. That's like in, uh, a system that can't crack. You know what I mean? Like just, just do it locally somewhere. Start in Buffalo. Take over local buff- Buffalo government. Decentralize the leadership here and just show how, prove how it works. And I'm so confident it will work. Like I know that decentralized leadership will work. Imagine if I was running for office and I said to you, I'm I'll vote for you. <laughs> what? I'll vote for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But like, I, I don't want to run for office, but we need someone like Brave. <laughs> I, I'm too easy to pick apart. They'll be like, oh, you did drugs when you're back in the day. You did it. They'll, they'll find like, you know, I got in trouble with LSD. They'll just pick me apart. Right. I mean, they pick like, me apart too. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it'll be, it'll be too, it'll be too easy. Oh, you laughed. Yeah. At, you, know, you laughed at a racist joke when you're 18. I'm like, yeah, but I don't even know my own race. So like, but oh, who cares? You know, I'm a doctor. So I don't know. But they'll find something that like, I, you know, and just try to like cancel me. And we need someone who's like pure and like can just run and who's like a, a true, who cares about the country and can be really transparent with themselves to just de- imagine if I was running and I, I had like, you know, I was easy to run. And I just ran into office and said this, I'm not going to run my office at all anymore. You guys are, are going to run it for me. Every meeting I have, I'm putting online. Every decision I make, I'm putting on this voting system. Every vote that I vote on a bill, I want to hear your feedback on it first. I want to see exactly what you guys think about it. I want the bill posted online so everyone can read it and give me feedback. And I'm going to break the bill down. And I'm only going to represent you, truly represent you, what you guys say. Granted, I still have the power to override you, I guess, would be would be a thing. But I probably wouldn't if it was me running. Maybe if I really saw a problem and it was like a tor- like a close decision, and I don't know how I'd get how I'd you know reason with this yet, but I think that doing something like this, decentralizing your own leadership, is the future of governance. We can self-govern. We don't need government telling us what to do anymore. We can self-govern. And everyone's worried about direct democracy, tyranny of the masses. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm still talking about a representative democracy with a constitution and courts and individual rights protected, but where we really have a say and we can see exactly what our say is compared to what our representatives are doing. 
And like, imagine we did this something like this right now for the Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein client list. The whole world would be like, show me that client list and prosecute them. Why isn't that? Well, it belongs to intelligence. Well, that's scary, right? All of it. If you read Whitney Webb's uh, books about um, one nation under blackmail, it's the scariest book I ever read. It's like we're being run by the mob, basically. It's really scary. And every thread you can pull on, every thread's very verifiable. You can't go up against that. You can't just go into office and change that. You're going to get killed. You're going to get your family's going to be in danger. Your plane's going to crash. Like it's corrupt. What yeah. you need is to say, listen, if, if I die, I'm running for office. It doesn't matter if I die. It don't matter. I don't care if you kill me. Go ahead, kill me. I, I would run with that kind of confidence too. I would run with that kind of like, like, go ahead, kill me. Like, I, I, I'm not me. I'm running for the people behind me and they're going to tell me what to do. If you kill me, someone's going to pick up the flag and take my place. And when they do, they're going to still turn around and sit to ask the people, what are we going to do? And the people are going to say, make everything transparent. Every single document to hear that's like classified, let's make them all unclassified unless, unless there's some independent thing that says this is really a government secret, like a military secret. We should know who's on Epstein's client list. That isn't a military secret. That's a disgusting thing that happened. That means our entire system is run by people who are blackmailed. And we just brush that off and say, oh, okay, we're going to accept that. Well, I won't accept that. I, yeah. I'm, 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 I've dedicated a big part of my life to trying to find a way to crack into that. And I think I have a way. I think, I think the way is decentralization and transparency, but not just like total decentralization. Like we need some kind of organization. So that's why we need like AI to like bring us together and say, all of us are going that way because we agreed on it. We found a consensus and now we're going that way. And we kind of, and we're, we're results driven. We're not going to accept bad results anymore. We're looking for good results. So like, you want me to segue into to, to diet right here? Cause I can segue into diet or are we going too long here? No, so, no, we're waiting, waiting for Ray to ask you about your diet. All right. So oh, yeah. now I was going to, I was going to say that, uh, you know, with the high-level governors, uh, government people in the list, they don't want to let out. You know what I mean? Like, uh, this country is so uh, programmed for Republicans and Democrats, and 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 all these politicians come up, and then, like, the people is like, oh, I'm just voting for him. He's a Democrat. They don't care right. about the issues. Yeah. It, it, well, first, that's another thing. We, we need to be results-driven, and we need to take responsibility take responsibility for our own government. Right now, we need to make the decision and say, I'm going to be active. And I'm not going to be active in a way where I'm Democrat or Republican. I'm going to be active in a way where, excuse me, I'm results-driven. I don't care what that means. Like, like, there's a saying that I believe it was, Naval Ravikant said the one saying, but I think he was quoting someone else. It might have been uh, Nassim Talib who wrote like Black Swan. I think he talks about this. At home, in my house... I'm a communist with my friends and family. You know, I am a socialist and uh, in my, in my neighbors, in my town with my, my next door neighbors, I'm a Democrat, you know, and the bigger the level gets, then, then I'm, a, then I'm a Republican at the state level. And at the national level, I'm a libertarian or an anarchist even, right? The bigger the system is, the more chances there are, is going to be someone trying to corrupt it. So you can't just be like, uh, you know, if you're a national level, like, uh, anarchist or, 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 you know, communist at a national level, well, go ahead, open your windows and doors and just let people walk in your house. Don't ever lock your door. Leave your door open. I leave my door open for my family, right? For my friends. All my friends have keys to my house pretty much, you know? I trust, I like trusting people. 
But the bigger the system is, the more it has to be impervious to corruption, right? So there's got to be a fusion. There's got to be a fusion of all the ideas. It's not just left or right. So they try to push you into like, oh, you know, you're, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. Well, I have emotional attachments to all of that, all different sides of things, right? Uh, the, the empathy that the Democrats have, I completely understand. We should be taking care of people. We shouldn't let the weakest people in society collapse. We shouldn't let, um, just let, uh, you know, them get forgotten about, get run over. There's a, uh, we shouldn't let civil rights like go by the wayside. Uh, I don't think people should be spending time in prison for possessing marijuana or drugs at all, honestly. And um, I feel like uh, sexual rights, like, you know, the right to love whoever you want should be up to you. You know what I mean? As an adult, if you're not hurting someone, you should have the freedom and the social ability to do whatever you want. That's how I feel about it. That's how most people feel about it. Some people want to impose theirs on others, but even like people that are mostly Republicans still don't care really. They don't really, they just like, if you listen to them, they're like more against like some of the issues where it starts to cross certain lines with them, which I can understand some of those lines. Right. And I, I love talking about those. Like those are hard things to talk about and not get like social. I won't talk about it on your podcast. So you don't <laughs> That's have to don't like, like some, of your, some of your former guests apparently had to mute out some of their things. And that won't be, uh, that won't, <laughs> I, won't, I won't dive too deep into these ideas, but I'm happy to talk about any topics, right? Any, any topics you want to talk about. <laughs> Because I feel like that's what we need to do. The hard topics are the ones we need to talk about the most and have a rational conversation, a results-driven conversation, and not just talk about like, oh, my emotions are this or my intentions are this. No, no, no. What are the results from your policies? What are the policies? Oh, my, my emotions are drugs are bad. Okay. But put locking people in cages for 10 years because they went on a poor person's vacation is wrong. It's worse, Right that's immoral. Like they didn't hurt anyone else besides themselves. And then you're going to hurt them more. Like that is not the right answer. Right. And then what does it do? It creates gangs that kill each other. This is not the right answer. Right. There's, you know, you want to end gun violence. The number one way to do that is end the war on drugs. You're going to stop 50% of all gun violence in this country can be tied to the, the war on drugs in some way. So uh, like, you know, let's have rational conversations about these things. Right. And that's, that's a problem. So to segue over into, into food here. Right. So, so I, I'm at the point now where I thoroughly believe our food systems are corrupted to the core. And I didn't, you know, two, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I started having some scary symptoms, right? I started feeling off balance. I started having problems with my vision where my eyes would kind of like just move on their own. And I, I'd be reading and I'd, ju I'd jump around. I started having really intense brain fog where I would feel like I couldn't think I'd be talking on the phone to someone, Jeff. And like, I'd be like, I wouldn't know who I was talking to. Like if you knew I was right now with you guys, I'd be like, like Raymond and Jeff, who are like, I would not remember who you guys were. It would be like, it was insane. Like I was having like, I thought I was going crazy. And then like, I would have like really intense bouts of um, uh, fatigue where I'd feel really, really, really tired. But like in the most intense way, it would just come on. Like I'd be like, walking and then i'd feel like i need to take a nap while i was walking i'd be like whoa you know and then i would feel like hot and cold tingles and like these shocks going up and down my arms and stuff and ms runs in my family like like i said earlier like i'm adopted so i don't know my blood in my family but i know people like close to me that have ms so um i they their symptoms were that like these are classic symptoms of ms so i made an appointment to see my doctor and I go in and the first day he's like, it sounds like you've been poisoned. I'm like, well, this is like, like the very beginning of the pandemic. And I'm like, well, 
I don't think I've been poisoned. Maybe I have. I don't, I don't know. But like, um, my symptoms are getting worse. And so he's like, well, I was like, I was like, you know, I brought up the, the idea of MS to him. He's like, oh yeah, this, this sounds like classic MS symptoms. So then, then we made appointments to see like neurologists, like specialists, you know, and I go to see them and they said the same thing. They said like, this sounds like classic MS. They did a bunch of tests and I had like a lot of the symptoms, a lot of the balance issues. And I was off balance all the time. Like I couldn't walk. I tried to walk upstairs and I'd like walk into the wall and walk back into the wall. You know, it was, it was really weird. And I couldn't keep my balance. I, I stopped training jujitsu. I, I wasn't driving my car. And uh, they did a brain scan on me, which is like the most reliable way to tell if you have MS. And it came back negative. So they're looking for lesions on my brain. And it came back negative. So I, I had no lesions. But all of my my neurological problems seem to be radiating off my spine, right? And like in the middle of my spine. And MS a lot of times can be on your spine. And it's, it's a very hard disease to... to um, completely like diagnosed to say like you got ms 100 sometimes it takes years before the doctors are like oh yeah so one really good way to do it is to get a spinal tap and like i don't know if you've ever seen that but it's like it's a scary yeah, it's needle that goes in your spine so I, I was nervous about that i was contemplating it but i wanted to know and, and but the, you know after the the beginning of the pandemic all doctor things were pushed back like months and months and months you know i really feel like for people during that pandemic that didn't get to go see their doctor for things that could have been cured and they ended up dying. It's really sad to me. And like the fact that um, COVID, in my opinion, like there was better solutions that we could have not left those people behind. And I think about that a lot. Like I was lucky that I was able to, to combat my symptoms. But anyways, I'm the kind of person that like my dad always, is, he's, you know, I look up to my dad a lot. He's a really good businessman and smart guy, self-made millionaire. Like he was poor. His parents came off the boat, like the American dream. He grew up on the east side of Buffalo, did the American dream, like, you know, saved up his pennies, worked at Bethlehem Steel, like worked his way up, started buying businesses. We got, you know, we started working together when I was in my young 20s and he's taught me so much. And he always says, like, do something even if it's wrong, especially if you got a problem. Keep doing something and see, see if it works and keep changing. And don't just do nothing. Don't hope that like, the outside is going to come save you. No, you be part of the solution, right? So he's always kind of instilled that in me. And so when I started having symptoms, I started like immediately go, going online, going down rabbit holes and reading about like, like my symptoms. And I came across someone on, on the internet um, who I actually interacted with a little bit before. His name was George. Uh, and he was my, I kind of consider him a friend, you know, we were friendly enough where we had conversations and he had MS like really bad, like in bedridden, like wet in the bed kind of thing. Uh, like couldn't control his bladder, like miserable. I'm like, um, I forgot the name of the drug, but it was, it was like chemotherapy. Right. And his life was a miserable, like he was a miserable mess. Um, and he started doing a diet that fixed his MS and the diet was carnivore diet, like a strict carnivore diet where he basically only ate meat. And within a few weeks, he was feeling like 80% better. Then within the first year, he was off all of his meds, had control of his bladder again, was able to walk and run. And then like uh, after the two-year mark of his being on carnivore diet, he went and got a brain scan and his brain was like Swiss cheese. So with his scan, it was obvious MS with like lesions all over his brain. His brain remyelinated, which means his brain healed itself. And his doctors had never one time seen that before. So like doctors, like doctors don't... Um, Doctors today, they get you on meds and they keep you on meds. To me, a good doctor should be someone that gets you off meds, right? And he got off all of his meds. 
So hearing this, I was like, well, I'm going to do something, you know, in, in the, in the uh, saying of my dad, I'm like, I'm going to do something, even if it's wrong. And uh, that seems like at least a, a, a glimmer of hope, even though it sounds fucking crazy, <laughs> you know, I'm going to just meet, but um, I started doing it. I mean, I, I could dive into all of the specifics. And if, listen, if you're out there and you're sick and you have an MS is an autoimmune disease. So MS uh, is autoimmune where your body's attacking itself. And there's a host of these problems. Like, like I think there's 30 or 40 uh, autoimmune disorders. If you have one and you're watching this right now and you're suffering, like I was suffering, try it, just try it, just do it. Okay. Because, uh, all my symptoms went away. Like within weeks I started feeling better and there's going to be intricacies of this diet. So I don't know if I want to like get into all that detail right now. You can read about my Substack, like how to do the diet, how certain foods, like eggs that have been fed soy can like affect you poorly things like that. Um, so you got to kind of be careful. Like carnivore diet is animal products, but if you're sick, I recommend doing a strict, strict version of lion diet, which is just ruminant meat, salt and water, and maybe bone broth and do that for as long as you can do it. Like at least do six weeks, but try doing like six months and then see how you feel. And after six months, because for me, I was feeling like negative five, maybe negative six. Like I always say like a bad flu for me is like negative three, maybe. And I was just miserable, man. I was just like, you know, couldn't train jujitsu, which means like that sucks. as like my life, you know, like couldn't do any of the things I loved. Like it was, it was gone. Couldn't walk, couldn't drive a car. Like I was like messed up, you know? And then, so I started feeling better, you know, it, it took a while to get back to perfect. It took like over a year to, for me to get back to perfect. And I had only been sick for like a little while, you know? So I imagine if you have autoimmune for a long time, I've seen it take a, a year for people to get back to feeling like just good. But for me, once I got back to feeling normal, back to zero, I started going the other way and a lot. All my joint pain went away. All of my, I lost 40 pounds. I mean, you saw me last year in the tournament. Yeah. I was like a skinny little peanut, right? And then so like I started, I lost weight, but I felt good. Like, I mean, you know that match, like I was hanging off your sleeves with my hands the whole time. I couldn't play that game for years, like where I couldn't even, my grips were shot. Like after training, I couldn't, my hands were hurt. They're swollen all the time. All my inflammation was gone. And like, I was able to train like twice a, twice a day for like two and a half, three weeks up to that tournament and never had ice in my hands. I felt good the whole time and felt strong. Like it was just, uh, I, I was so grateful that I could train again that I was like, I'm going to compete. You know what I mean? This is like, I feel just grateful that, that I can actually move again. But since, since that time, since I've, I, I've healed myself, I also healed ailments. I didn't even, Oh, I knew I had, but I had like mental disorder. I had, um, a clinical anxiety and panic disorder where I would have panic attacks all the time. And before I had my first panic attack, which was like at the age of, I don't know, maybe 33 or 32, um, I didn't know what panic attack was. So I would look at people that had panic attacks, like an anxiety. I'd be like, that's just an emotion. Like, just get over it. Like, be tough. And it's not that. It's, that's not what anxiety is. It is a full-fledged body, like, off, like similar symptoms to almost MS where you feel like dizzy sometimes and you feel like like brain fog, but then you feel like your world closing in and trouble breathing. And it's like just really intense and scary. And the first time it happened to me, I, th I thought I was dying. You know, I didn't know what was going on. And then I got so used to it. Like I got really used to um, like the, uh, the, the anxiety because I had it for so long. I took some meds for it, you know, and that, that kind of helped, but I got used to just being able to ride it out. I would look at it like almost like I was surfing. So I'd get like a wave of anxiety and I would just, 
uh, ride it out. I'd ride out that anxiety. And I was used to it. So when all of a sudden, after six weeks of carnivore diet, that just stopped. And I haven't had a panic attack or anxiety, not one time since then. Um, I was baffled. And I had like a decade almost of, of panic attacks just all of a sudden stop. I'm like, how how is that possible, right? So then I started getting into the carnivore community, right? So there's like an online community with 100,000 people in some of the groups and just people everywhere, like some famous people too. And I just started meeting people that were curing everything, like curing almost every autoimmune disease you know of, they were saying they're claiming to, to cure. But then it went beyond that, like all these mental disorders, like clinical depression, clinical anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, and I was like, this, this isn't right. Like, I didn't believe it, but I certainly believe that it cured MS because I saw, I saw my friend's brain scans and I seen what happened with me. Right. And even though like I was never officially like diagnosed, like I bet every dollar I have, that's what I had. Right. Like I, I really would bet that I'm going to get a, whatever. I don't know how, how do you prove it right now, but even either way, I had some kind of neurological disorder where I couldn't walk and that went away. So kudos to that. But then my anxiety all went away and then I stopped snoring I stopped having like sleep apnea. I started just feeling like so much better. Never feel tired or, or during the day. I feel like super, all my, all my symptoms went away, man. It's like, uh, I was baffled. Right. So of course, like to me, results matter most. So, and what I really hate guys, like I really hate seeing people suffer. Like I don't like seeing people suffer. So I started looking around my life, people that I knew had autoimmune diseases and I tried not to be too like, religiously zealot about it and say like, you got to eat. Cause it sounds so weird. Like eat meat. You're going to feel good. Yeah. But like, I just shared my experience. And I said that maybe this is an option for you. You know, maybe like if you want to go down this path and try it, I'm first of all, I'm, I'm endlessly curious person. I love learning. I'm addicted to learning. Right. I want to like, I learn all day long. I just love learning. Right. So if this is actually a thing, not only is like, I can help people stop suffering, but I also can stick it to the people that are running these systems, the people that are running the systems and corrupting the systems. It's a way to stick it back to them if they really are corrupting it this way. So I looked at it like that. And uh, I don't trust the medical systems at all. Like, I mean, especially after the pandemic and everything that's happened. So I started thinking like, okay, maybe this is a way to open a bunch of people's eyes and a bunch of different things. So just like fit with all these core principles in my life. So I just started really talking about it openly. And then, um, I mean, this has been over two years now. Since that time, I personally know over well over 100 people that have done the carnivore diet, and a huge chunk of them have done it for autoimmune disorders or mental disorders. And from what I can tell, it has really close to a 100% success rate with nearly all of them, which to me is like mind-boggling, right? Like I have friends that just for weight loss alone lost over, I have students that lost, uh, lost over a hundred pounds, 140 pounds. So, uh, Mustafa, you guys know, right. You see, yeah, for sure. I was just about to bring him up. Dan King says, thank you for sharing brother. You helped me a lot. What that Dan King just, uh, said, thank you for sharing brother. You helped me a lot. Oh, did, oh, oh he's, he's, we're live right now. Yeah. 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 Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. What's up, <laughs> buddy? I thought this was a recording. So yeah, my, <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Dan King, man. He's a, he, uh, so there's some of my friends didn't couldn't beat their autoimmune disorders, right? And Dan's one of them, but he had type one diabetes. So I know people with type two diabetes who have beat off all their meds. And there's like a Harvard study that that uh, it's it's like a um, it's a study where they kind of survey people. So it's not like the gold standard. So you could pick the study apart if you want to. However, every single study that shows that meat 
causes cancer or causes heart disease is the same exact kind of study. So you should be able to pick both of them apart, right? But the difference is, is that you can go and meet these people who have cured themselves and shake their hand. If someone dies of a heart disease, you don't know if they were eating seed oils or soy, which I think are the two biggest enemies, or processed sugars or processed wheats, um, and also eating meat. Because it would be like a survey where it's like, how much meat did you eat? Did you eat meat once a week, twice a week? And then you die of a heart attack or have cancer. And they go, see, meat is a correlation for that. But there's not one double-blind gold standard study um, that shows that meat causes any diseases, right? There's none of those. There's not one that shows that carnivore diet cures it either. But there's it's a newer thing, right? So, like, we're, we're going to get there. We're going to be able well, to me, the most important thing in science is being able to replicate independently a study. That's what science is. So like Einstein's equations, we replicate every day. We're doing it right now by talking on these phones using satellites. His equations of relativity and everything are being replicated right now as we talk. Or Maxwell's equations of electricity are being replicated right now as we talk. We have all of our electronics on right now and that electricity is powering it. That is worth a billion, that's worth infinity studies. How many, how many um, double blind studies did Einstein have? Zero. Like he, none of his equations were, were, were peer reviewed studies. They just proved something and did it. So with carnivore diets, the same with me. I have seen so many people now go in to carnivore diet being sick with the idea that I'm going to do this diet to fix my problems and then fix their problems, right? And when I say autoimmune diseases that I've personally seen, I don't know the names of all of them, but there is, you know, uh, my ulcerative colitis is one that I have uh, a couple of people that are pretty close to me that have beat. I always do this, but shout out to my friend, Lynn. She beat uh, her ulcerative colitis. If you guys don't know what that is, it's really horrible stomach problems where your body attacks itself, attacks the lining of your stomach till the point where you're bleeding on the inside. And it's really bad. And, and like, it's got to be just so embarrassing for people like that that has that. You see commercials for it on TV all the time. Watch. You'll see tomorrow, you'll turn on your TV and you'll see ulcerative colitis commercials everywhere. It's a big disease. Every single person I know that has done carnivore diet for ulcerative colitis has beat it 100%. She went back to her doctor. Now she's been doing it over a year. All of her blood work came back negative. All of her internal, they did internal scans, is gone. She doesn't have ulcerative colitis anymore. But she also had clinical depression since she was a child. 10 years old, taking medication since she's a little kid. And that has gone too. I like to bring her up because she has had more than one and one's mental and one is um, physical. It's just like mine. So a lot of my friends had like, like, you know, psoriasis in their skin and they beat that. That's a tough one to beat. It takes a little while, but they beat it. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, another tough one to beat. Graves disease, um, you know, Hashimoto's, things with your thyroid. Uh, there's all different kinds of diseases that we all have uh, that, this is, this is a bold thing for me to say, and, and this is maybe I'll receive pushback and I'm okay with that because I only care about results. So push back on me. But I don't think that most autoimmune diseases are diseases. I think they're poisoning. Like that's Just like the first day I went to the doctor and he said, it sounds like you've been poisoned. I think it's a slow poisoning. That's what we're doing. We're slowly poisoning ourselves with seed oils and soy and refined sugars and refined wheats. Any, all those things, if, if, if you decide to have clean up your diet, you can stop most of your health problems. And carnivore diet is just the easiest way to do that because red meat is one of the only foods on planet Earth that we can eat just one of and not have to supplement and not have to eat anything else. We can eat just red meat and water and survive, not just survive, but thrive. So that gives our body time to heal. Like the ongoing 
hypothesis, hypothesis for autoimmune diseases is this, is that when we eat these poisons, we get leaky gut. And I don't understand this that much. I'm not a doctor, right? But somehow proteins leak into our bloodstream from our gut and they attach to different parts of our body. And these proteins aren't supposed to be there. And then our body sees that as an invader and launches a counterattack. If those proteins are attached to our lining of our stomach, you get ulcerative colitis. If they're attached to the myelin sheaths in your brain, you get MS. If they're attached to your skin, you get psoriasis. If they go to your thyroid, you get the myriad of thyroid problems that are associated with autoimmune disease. But that's the ongoing hypothesis that I think fits the most, you know, and it's kind of like a slow poison, like, like um, chocolate to a dog. If you give a dog chocolate once, a little bit of chocolate, you give him just a little bit, he's not going to get sick. Give him a little every day. At the end of two months, he's half dead, right? And then he'll die from it eventually, even just a tiny little bit because his body can't process it the right way. Our bodies were not made to attack themselves. If you look back 120 years in the medical literature, there was not autoimmune problems. And now in like like the all the charts for all these problems are going like this, straight up. Or if you're at home, I can't tell which way is up. One of these two. <laughs> so uh, they're just going straight up though. Like it's, um, it's autoimmune diseases, boom. MS, boom, like mental disorders, anxiety, depression, boom, boom, um, bipolar disorder, boom. Uh, and you look at all these things, heart disease, boom, cancers, boom. Um, uh, there's really, it's really sad to see all these diseases going up. If the FDA and the CDC were good systems and were results driven and were doing their job based on results, these things should be going down, right? Why are they going up? They're going up and you know what's going up with them? Profits of big pharma, profits of, and their control over humanity. Like those are the things that are going up. And so, hey, Josh, there's no yeah. money on cure. That's right. There's no money in the cure. There's no money in the cure, but you don't need any money to cure yourself. Is the beautiful right. thing. Like, here's the thing. Maybe if you're sitting at home right now, maybe like you've had autoimmune disease for a long time and you can't cure yourself. Maybe it's going to be super hard. Maybe the road there is really hard. Maybe you're not like, like suffering enough to do a, like a diet that's this disciplined. Cause it requires some serious discipline. Yes. Like your, your stomach is going to like change and your stomach's going to be upset while you're changing your body right now, your stomach biome saying, give me sugars, give me wheats, give me like whatever, even seed oils, give me all these poisons. And when you change that, it's not fun. It's not a fun time. And you're mentally, you're going to crave like all these sweets. You're going to crave like things and it's hard to get through it. But I was suffering to the point where I didn't care. Like my suffering was worse than suffering from the entertainment that food brought me. So I was able to do it. Some people might not be suffering that much or might be like teetering on it and might, you know, find reasons to cheat and excuses. There are a couple people that I know that <clears throat> this diet didn't work for, but the one girl I'm friends with her, she had like six autoimmune problems, like all kinds of stuff. Her thyroid was messed up. She had skin problems. She had rheumatoid arthritis and she started feeling better, but then like one day, like two weeks in the diet, she calls me and I'm like, what are you doing right now? And she's like, oh, I'm at Starbucks having a Frappuccino. I'm like, wait, no, you, you can't do that. Like that's full of seed oils. That, that is like crushed up seeds and poisons and soy. And those are the, the cause of most of this disease. Like that is going to set you back. But even despite cheating, she was still feeling better. But then eventually she just quit. And now she goes to the Mayo Clinic. And all. I wish she would have stuck with it. I really do. I think it, she was heading in the right direction, feeling better. It's just hard. And I get, I get how hard it is. And I don't, I don't do super strict carnivore all, all the time myself anymore. So I came to the point where like, 
my autoimmune problems, if I would eat the wrong thing, if I would eat eggs that had soy in it, or if I would eat soy at all, like soy lecithin, um, or if I would eat seed oils, which seed oils are in everything, guys. Like, like Raymond, if me and you went to the, 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 uh, the supermarket right now, and we walked up and down the aisles, and I like your little bets you guys do. If I was like, all right, I'll bet you $20 that this item, packaged item, so we're not going on the outside of the aisles, we're going on the inside aisles. This package item has seed oils or soy in it. If it does, you give me 20 bucks. And if it doesn't, I'll give you 20 bucks. I'm walking out a millionaire, right? Every single item of our food has sesame seed oil or uh, canola oil or soy lecithin or like, or chemicals that you don't even know how to pronounce. You know what I mean? Right. But then on top of that, there's like all kinds, just, there's oils, just seed oils. There's only a very few kind of oils that I think are good. Coconut oil is one. Coconut oil, uh, butter is like, I mean, or lard or any any animal oil I think is good. Um, arguably, like uh, extra virgin olive oil could be good, but it's so hard to find pure. They did tests on it, and it's always full of like canola oil. It's cut. It's they lie about it. It's like garbage. Avocado oil can be like okay, pretty good. It's like the best of the worst, but it also is going to be cut. It's going to be rancid a lot of times. And so, like, for me, I just try to stay with, like, if there's oil in it, I will do coconut oil-based things because um, I take uh, electrolytes. I don't take any supplements. That's one thing. If you're going to do this diet, quit all your supplements because 95% of supplements have seed oils or, mm. like, plant plant poisons in them. Plants are poison, like, right? If we went in my backyard right now and just started eating plants, we'd be dead by tomorrow. We would not make it. Like, we would die. But we can go on planet Earth and eat every animal that exists, and except for two, like poison dart frogs and like the liver of a puffer fish or something like that, some organ of a puffer fish. But other than those two things, we can eat like we could eat spiders if we want to, which is disgusting. Yeah. But we can, people do, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But red meat is the safest because 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 uh, like animals that have four stomachs, they're called ruminants. They have four stomachs. Those stomachs detoxify the food, so they can eat like plants that have toxins in them and by the time it turned into their their meat it's detoxified a lot or their milk both, both is detoxified so it's, like a, so it's like a filter kind of it's like a filter right but like a, like if i eat chicken or pork that has been uh, fed soy or like seed oils and stuff i will feel effects sometimes right oh, okay. and so um anyways because of the fact that my symptoms if i do start to have symptoms are, are just they last like about a day or two so i'll be off balance for a day or tingly for a day or whatever and then um because of that, and because some of my friends that I've made in this community um, will have very severe problems. Like some of them will get like, um, like uh, Mustafa will get gout in his legs and he can't walk then. Like it's like super severe. People think that red meat causes gout, right? When he started the diet, uh, I know he had like a flare up of gout. Like you're going to have a flare up or two, but he hasn't had one. He's strict on his diet, gone. And he lost, you know, he lost so much weight that people didn't recognize him. You'd see people. He looks like his son. Right. That's what happened to him. He saw people like a year later and they hadn't seen him in a year and they didn't know him very well. You know, they just kind of like were, were, were acquaintances at church or whatever and uh, or at his mosque, I should say. And they would be like, hey, um, where's your brother? The guy, the guy was here last year, the big guy. He's like, no, that's me. You know, <laughs> I'm the big guy. I he looks so much younger, too. Well, yeah. his, his beard's like cleaned off. He's like, he looks younger. Like, yeah, it's and amazing. I, I, definitely, I, I definitely wanted to try this diet out. You want to try it out? You want to try this out? I want to, um, so, uh, steaks be the best meat to eat. Yeah. So like, 
I mean, look at people try to knock it because of like a budget, right? Like it, it can be expensive. I just bought a bunch of steaks from um, from uh, Sloan Meat Market here. They were like five bucks a steak. I'll eat like one a day and some ground beef. And then today I ate one steak and that's it. I, I ate butter, one steak and butter tea. That's it. And I feel satiated right now. I could go to sleep and not have to eat right now. Dude, that's the one thing is like, I feel really satiated from like, it's so nutritious. Go look at the nutritious content of red meat. It's insanely good for you. And if you look at fat and cholesterol as good for you instead of bad for you, which I believe it absolutely is, cholesterol you need for every single function of body, especially like sexual function. And human testosterone levels have been like this ever since we inter introduced like soy into our diets and got red meat out of our diets. Testosterone levels are like down very, very bad. And I can tell you right now that my testosterone, I didn't test it, but I just, my feeling of, you know, I don't know what it, you know what, it, you know, when you're feeling like you have testosterone when you're a kid, you can just go back to being like 21 or 18. Like, you know, I didn't have that feeling when I was 35 and now I have it again when I'm 45 where I'm like, Ooh, you know, it's like weird. And, um, I think it's just for removing soy and seed oils and toxins from my diet, but also getting enough cholesterol. And like cholesterol, all your brain, all your brain function rests on cholesterol. So all like, you know, I'm sure you heard cholesterol is bad for you, right? This all is based on a, one study started with one study by a guy named Ansel Keys. And Ansel Keys worked for Kellogg. And guess what Kellogg made? Grains and bran and just crap like that. And he wanted to, um, he wanted to sterilize the population. That was like his idea. And so this is all based on one study. And basically the study was an observational study, which is a weak study where it looked at heart attacks that people had, right? So maybe like a hundred people died from heart. I don't know the study that well, but they looked at like heart attacks that people had and they went to the source of the heart attack. So let's say that the heart attack was acutely right here and they found cholesterol there. And then they concluded that, oh, this cholesterol causes this heart attack. Well, guess what? If you break your finger, your body sends cholesterol there because it's a pre-hormone to fix everything. If you have a brain injury, your body sends cholesterol there. Your body needs cholesterol everywhere in your body, right? To do all functions. All functions are built on cholesterol. And so that is like a really weak study. And, that, and then the American Heart Disease was formed off of that and funded suspiciously by other offshoots of like industry that profits off this. So it's really just a corrupt system and we're basing it all on that. But here's the thing. All you guys can prove it. Like carnivore diet, I hope you don't believe me. Don't believe me. Go do carnivore diet and see how you feel. It's hard to do, right? It's not easy to do, uh, but do it for six weeks, especially if you have, have autoimmune problems, especially if you have mental disorder like issues, right? You have problems with with uh, depression or anxiety. Like those ones, man, like or, or bipolar. If you go on the forums and search for those, you're going to see testimonials for days. Just like, like I don't know anybody that really hasn't worked for it. Um, if you go for autoimmune, same thing, but autoimmune is trickier because sometimes it takes a little longer. Sometimes you have to be like, like adjust your diet. Some people need to like add, so like if you have certain thyroid things, you might need to add iodine or like add, there's just like little tricks to it. Right. But you're going to find answers. Just go and do it. Like do something, even if it's wrong, if you're suffering. Right. And do it like you don't believe me. Like, I don't want you to believe me. Like Nellius and Verba, don't take my word for it. Like, just go do it and see if it works for you. See how you feel. But like I said, like I, I was able to add um, more stuff in my dad because I looked at myself as part of this community. And if somebody with psoriasis would eat the wrong thing, they would have a break out of their skin. It would, they look, you know, 
in, embarrassed for, for six months and then have to wait for that to go away and like fight it off again. Right. But for me, I would only be off balance for a day or two. So I started testing foods. I was like, I'm going to start testing foods, reporting back to the group, how I feel after those tests. And then everyone, cause nobody wants to eat just meat forever. Right. It's like really hard to do that. So um, pretty much all fruits are, are safe. If you get like organic fruits, there are a couple like question marks around uh, fruits that are stone fruits. So like peaches and cherries, uh, things like that. They have the stone, uh, plums that have like the stones inside of them. Coconut's a stone fruit, but coconut is like the safest fruit that I know of. Like, like, and like, I really test it. So what I'll do is I'll, any food I would test, I would eat like a couple of, and then wait a day. And then the next, like I wait two days. And then, then two days later, I would eat so much of it. It would make you sick. I'd eat like the first food I ate was like, like a blueberry. I'd eat a couple of blueberries. And I was like, all right. Then the next time I ate it, I ate it. So my teeth hurt. My mouth is blue. And I was like, oh, I was like sick. And then, <laughs> but then I had no reaction. And I was like, guys, I think blueberries are safe. And then like, then people would eat blueberries and be like, all right, cool. I can eat blueberries. Some people like can't, some people still can't like, it's too big of a risk. Like they'll have like, maybe, a, maybe they're autoimmune. Is caused by a chemical spray or some something that's just a tiny little thing that we can't figure out yet, or just like you got to think about like a, a plant toxin, right? They can be they're in plants, right? So maybe people are just allergic to that now, whatever. But most people with the autoimmune can eat fruit. I don't recommend doing it though until you're till you're feeling get to 100% feeling good again, then slowly add foods in because if not. You'll, re- you'll slippery slope and regress. And then you'll start having sugar cravings again too. So if you can keep doing it, keep doing it. Like I, I will go long stretches still where I'm strict carnivore because that's where I feel the best. I don't have, I'll feel like I'll get tired spikes if I add sugar back in. Uh, um, but I was able to eat uh, all fruits, honey, uh, dairy, if it's raw A2 protein dairy. So uh, A2 protein is like, um, it's a kind of protein. Most of our milk is A1 protein. A2, like I get it from the Amish. It's tough to get and I get it raw. So it's not processed. Like my wife uh, is allergic to milk, like an allergy, not like lactose intolerant. She's an allergy and she can have raw A2 milk. So that might be something you want to try. Like I believe a lot of our allergies are caused by leaky gut too from stomach. Um, And then uh, I'm able to eat dairy so I can eat like cheese and stuff. I haven't had dairy in like, uh, except for butter. Like I keep keep raw A2 butter. I put a little bit on my steak. It helps me keep my weight like, you know, 160-ish instead of 149. Um, and then outside of that, I will eat fruit like occasionally. I, I like figs and like I'll eat um, mangoes. Uh, so like right now I'm in the middle of a week where I, I'm eating a little bit of fruit. But I, in a couple of weeks, I'm probably going to cut it back out again and be strict. But so you don't have to think of this as like a life sentence to carnivore diet. You can have a carnivore-esque diet. Like, or you can just commit to shopping in the outside aisles. Like don't buy things in packages anymore. Like it's, it's as bad as smoking. I really believe it. It's like, like what we're eating is as bad as smoking. And, um, they're putting stuff in foods that are really, really bad for us. Really, really got bad. A, got a question for you. You think, um, the corruption with food, where they're putting stuff in food, you think they're doing the same thing with the marijuana? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. So like, I, I, I don't use cannabis currently, but like, um, I went and I, I've got stretches where I'll use it a little bit here and there. I do see the purpose of using cannabis, right? Like I, um, um, as an artist, as a writer, it helps me like zoom my lens out, you know? So like I would use it occasionally to like zoom back to, um, 
see the bigger picture, right? And I think that's what it really does. Like, I, I want to be acutely focused on something. I, I can be. And then when you use like certain psychedelics, you can expand, like really expand your mind and look at it. But when you expand your mind, you open it to two things. You open it to creativity, which is good, but you open it to fear, which is bad. So like your mind, you, you connect to your imagination. That's right. Like, this is a whole topic I could get into, but I believe that our imagination is the closest we can be to God. That's what I believe. Whatever God means to you, it doesn't matter. Our, our imagination is a, a unique gift in the universe that we have as people and we can create just like all religions call God, like the creator, our imagination is creating, right? So we can connect to that. However, when you connect to it too much, like maybe using cannabis, um, you can also create fear. Like you can either create beautiful things or uh, with your imagination, or you can imagine bad things and create fear. And so a couple times I had used it, uh, maybe like a year ago, I found myself like feeling actually depressed, like, which I never, ever feel like I've never had a problem with depression, but I was finding like these depressed feelings that I was getting into. And so I just decided that it wasn't the best for me. I'm not saying I'm never going to do it again. I do see that like if I get writer's block or if I'm not creating, connecting to my imagination, it might be a tool where I can use it to connect to my imagination, but I don't want to um, use it as a crutch and say, I'm going to, you know, I want to find a way to connect to my imagination in other ways uh, for right now. And unless I find a way, a reason to need it. So I do think I did that thought did cross my mind, you know? Um, but I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, I feel like the food for sure is bad. There's bad food. Like soy is, soy is not good for humans. I like the seeds, right? All the worst seeds in the world are like all the worst poisons that we can think of. If I say name a poison, name a poison, go ahead. Arsenic. Arsenic. Name another poison. Uh, almonds. Well, almonds have almonds have uh, cyanide in it. So yeah. So there's cyanide, arsenic. These are all like made from seeds, right? Like yeah. so. Um, almonds. If I eat almonds, it's one of the worst foods for me. So people don't think of of nuts as seeds. I loved man before I got sick. I loved nuts. Like I would eat like a bag of almonds, and peanuts, and man, they're so good. And that's like, it was really depressing for me to, to not, and I tried it. I was like, I'm going to add these back into my diet and they will mess me up really bad. All my muscles contract. I feel like I've been poisoned. All my muscles contract and I have all these like crazy spasms and I'll end up in bed for two days. It's the worst, it's the single worst food, maybe tied with like seed oils and soy, but like almonds, like I'm going to be the most pain. They cause pain, like physical pain for me. Um, and it's depressing because I used to eat a lot of it, but maybe that's what caused my problem, right? Maybe that's eating so many seeds, eating handfuls and handfuls and handfuls of seeds, having one stomach, like I, not, I wasn't able to handle that. And you got, you got to think seeds are, there's so many things that are seeds. Seeds are seeds. Seeds are also beans. Seeds are also nuts. Seeds are also wheat. Wheat is a seed. Corn. I mean, corn is a flower, but it's also like produces a seed. And then you have um, grains. Grains are seeds. Everyone's like, eat a granola or oatmeal. These are seeds. They're, they're defended with chemicals, all of them, right? And be careful eating them. Be careful eating breads. Like you can do it, but like I know people that have autoimmune and if they, every, almost everyone with autoimmune eats any of those things, they're going to have a reaction, you know? So I won't get like, I won't keep going on this. You know, this is pretty deeply in the topic, but yeah. I would want to finish up by saying like, if you're suffering, try to prove me wrong. And even if you do prove me wrong, I want to hear about it. Like I, I, I don't care about I don't, I don't care about being right. 
I don't care about being right. I care about people not suffering. And maybe whatever you're doing, if you're, if you're trying to do it and it doesn't work, maybe there's ways that you haven't thought of yet. There's adjustments you can make, but maybe also you have a problem that can't be cured by diet. That's okay too, but that's valuable information for other people that have your similar problems. But with my own eyes, I've seen too many people cure themselves now to not, to, I will never shut up about it. Like I won't shut up about it. Like I will talk, if I, I'll be like walking into the store and I'll hear someone talk about autoimmune. I'm like, hi, you know, and I feel like something's <laughs> like, you know, I'm a Jehovah's witness of, uh, I'm a carnivore witness. You know, that's what I am. And, uh, but, but look at, like, it's, it's doing, it's, it's miracles. Like that's what it is. Like people that were suffering for so long that had no other options are finding ways to cure themselves. And there's no way the medical community doesn't know about this. Like the, the up, higher ups, there's a hundred thousand people online in these groups. It's growing and they're trying to fight it by saying meat's bad for the planet or meat's bad. You know, this is, this is like, this is a war. I'm just a hill. I'm willing to die on. Like I will really am willing to die on it. Uh, not for myself, but for the people that are trying to cause suffering for all humanity, I don't care. Like I, I, I won't, I won't just stand for that. Right. And now that I see that, like, I I'm grateful that, I, that it happened to me because I'm going to be the person that I'm not embarrassed. I don't care. Like, I can't be embarrassed. Like, I don't, I don't care. I'll tell everyone I, I don't puff up. I don't shrink. I'm just going to tell you my truth and prove me wrong. And if you do, let's let's use that information to grow, right? Say, I did. Man. I did. Man. Our, friend, our friend Mark Coleman is uh, doing the diet. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Mark Coleman's doing it for sure. He cleaned up. He stopped drinking. Yeah. He's doing a cardboard diet. Looks he stopped great. drinking? Yeah. Yep. That's good. That's I'm, that's I'm glad to hear that. You know, I've, yeah. I have some uh, some friends that had trained with him in the past and stuff. So that's good to hear. And like, but you gotta quit. You gotta quit drinking because that's wheat. You know, or the, mm -hmm. or like, you, you don't know. So, like some people do carnivore diet and start drinking again, but they're really like careful with it. Like they end up starting with like pure. I know that Tito's vodka seems to be pretty safe for some people. So if like if what's holding you back from doing carnivore diet is the fact mm -hmm. that you can't stop drinking. Like I'm not here to judge you. Maybe try like carnivore diet, or I'm sorry, Tito's. Try Tito's, like, uh, or something like more, not wheat related. You know, try something that's gonna be less ingredients. Less ingredient. I will not eat any. I won't try anything. Like I'm just done. Like I, I told you, I was a guinea pig for the carnivore community for like because because like, you know, it's not a big risk for me. But I will never try anything in a package that has more than one ingredient that I don't know what they are. And there's just no sense in it. I'll get dried fruit in a package, so I won't say I don't eat things in a package. And my butter comes in a, you know, it comes from the Amish, but it comes in a little package. But it's just butter. You know what I mean? And I have, have tried ice cream, actually, which is, makes me so happy. Like, let me tell you this. When you go one and a half years and you only eat meat, the first time you put a blueberry in your mouth, it's like the best feeling you've ever had. You're just like, how did I not appreciate fruit so much more? than I used to. Like I used to like, just like eat garbage and just like blah, blah, blah. No, now I just eat fruit. And I like, every time I put it in my mouth, I'm like, I'm so grateful that I can eat this. I'm so happy that I can eat fruit safely. And, and it's so delicious. Right. But you know, you go all that long without eating ice cream, which I went like a year, year and a half without, or no, almost two years without eating ice cream. I did eat ice cream that had, that was made with raw A2 milk and then pasture raised eggs that were not fed soy, honey, vanilla bean extract that's it and it was the best thing ever <laughs> i sat down with a pint like this and i was like you know i told you i, I like to taste one thing and then wait a day yeah. no i this is like i'm like i'm gonna die i don't i was like, <laughs> and I'm like you know then i couldn't order it though again i was like i just don't, i just don't order it because if i do it's like you know 
I, I like being disciplined and honest with myself and honest with everyone else. So, you know, I'll, I will eat it again, you know, but it's going to be like, uh, you know, every six months when I treat myself for something that I'm proud of, you know, I'm like, all right, time to order some vanilla ice cream, you know, from the Amish. So if you are going to do this diet, definitely take some time to meal prep because it's very difficult to get meals on the run because you can't really go anywhere. You need to actually prep it. I did it for six weeks and the days I didn't meal prep were like awful because I'm like, man, I can't eat anything anywhere. Like it's so hard to find something you can eat. So now, make sure that you have stuff ready to eat for yourself. When did you do it for six weeks? Uh, I did it for six weeks. Uh, right when, right after Mustafa did it, he told me to do it. I did it like really hardcore for six weeks. And now I do mostly carnivore, but I have fruit and I have a little bit of rice and some other stuff. You might call that the caveman diet, right? Yeah, the caveman diet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, so uh, that's awesome. And how, how did you feel? Do you feel better now? Like, did you cut all I stuff? felt the best doing straight carnivore, but I had such a hard time not having like something to eat. Yeah. And now, like in the mornings when I'm rushing, I didn't prep. I just grab some fruit and I have like a apple or a banana or something in the morning. Then I, I'll have some eggs when I get home. Yeah. And I'll go to the gym and I'll have steak when I get home or ground beef. Or I like to make ground beef and just take it with me and just eat the ground beef. And like, it's so filling. You yeah. guys will not be hungry. It doesn't have to be expensive, but you do have to meal prep. Yeah, meal prep. Like eggs are really good. You can take hard boiled eggs with you. I don't eat eggs because uh, I'm terrified of them because I have a really bad reaction if they've been fed soy. I was eating pasture raised soy free eggs on occasion and not having a problem, but then I got one egg one day and it was, like just messed me up and it ruined my whole day. Um, so I'm just really careful uh, with with that. But that's an easy prep. Another prep, like I travel quite a bit, and um, what I'll do is I'll buy a. This is awesome. I buy a whole brisket like a brisket and I, uh, Sloan's meat market in Buffalo will slice it thin for you. And I haven't pre-slice it. A lot of places won't slice it when it's, uh, they'll only slice it if it's cooked. They, they slice it beforehand. And then I put it in a, in like a dehydrator and I make my own jerky and just put salt on it. And it's so fill Like I'll go on a whole trip with like a, whole, a brisket and a half and it'll last five days. And maybe like you can get burgers, like so many places, like just go up somewhere and be like, just give me two, two beef patties. Like uh, I go birding a lot in the Southern tier looking for wildlife. And there's like a place on a Indian reservation down there that will just make me two burgers for like five bucks. And so I know it's a long day and I'm going to be hungry and I'll just like stop there and get my two burgers. And then the last thing I'll say is like, yes, coffee are beans and beans are a seed, but most people can tolerate coffee. If you're really sick, quit it. I quit it for over a year, but now I do it occasionally. Um, hey, Josh, did you yeah. ever try mushroom coffee? I never tried it. No, I never did. Have you? Yeah. You like it? I like it. Has it got caffeine I in it? It wakes you up? Yeah. I got to look at the ingredients to see if it got any of that stuff you, you, you were talking about. <laughs> seed oils and soy? Yeah, I got to check it out. Yeah, so seed oils, like, if I could say again, like, seed oils and soy should be the enemy of everyone. It should be the equivalent of, like, if your kids are eating seed oils and soy, which they probably are, they are. Like, every kid, like, it's so hard for kids, too. I feel bad. And there's other weird things that carnivore diet is showing really promising. I have a nephew, and he has autism, right? Like, I don't, like, push this on my family or anything like that. But online, they're showing very good results with, uh, it seems like, autism and carnivore diet which is interesting there's a, everyone knows in the in the autism community there's a gut brain connection like they, this is like widely known almost uh, all the kids have problems with both right so it's very interesting to see that that, that connection and there's also a connection to 
stem cells. It kind of like the same thing that carnivore diet does to you. It like reduces inflammation and it helps uh, with your cell reproduction and things like that. The same thing happens when you get stem cell therapy with uh, methyl chemical stem, stem cells. Um, they kind of like mirror each other and what, what benefits you have from them. And maybe if you do them together, if, you, if you're really sick, maybe consider like looking into both and doing both together. But yeah, but that's, that's all I got to say about that. If you're suffering, like, and you're watching this and you want to talk about it, like just, just, just call me. Like, just like you know, my, my phone number is on the jujitsu website. Like that's my actual phone number for Buffalo United Martial Arts. Text me, call me, I'll talk to you. Like, I, I don't want to see anyone suffering and, um, or just reach out to me on social media or Substack or whatever you want. And I'll definitely, uh, do my best to, to at least get you in the right area. And if you tell me, Hey, this is my problems. I could probably introduce you to someone that has gone through the same situation that you have, but like maybe even locally where you can go shake their hand and talk to them, or maybe someone, one of my friends you can FaceTime with like this, or maybe it's just someone like uh, you'll be able to at least on the internet, find other people like on your journey. If I give you the right avenues to go look, you know, definitely do it. That's the best I've ever felt. I wish I, I wish I was disciplined enough to eat strict carnivore all the time. I feel really good the way I am now. Like my inflammation's down and train every day. Yeah, I don't have any any serious problems. But when I was, I have a, I got poked in the eye and then I got um, pink eye real bad and it was viral. So like every now and then, if I if I eat bad, like I have a hard time seeing my eye clouds up and it's just my body fighting itself. And when I ate strict carnivore by the end of the five uh, by the end of the fifth week, I could see like clearly uh, the same out of both eyes. Wow. And, uh, it's not the same because like even adding fruit changes it, but not enough where it makes me not eat eat like that it's so hard to for me it's very difficult to eat so strict carnivore just my time management is not as good as yours obviously no but like like when you're it's not easy for me either but it's like when you're suffering it's like i'm not going back to that right so it's like it's a little easier it sounds like cruel but like when i had my one friend kind of quit carnivore diet i was like you're just maybe not suffering enough right if that makes sense because like if you're suffering you look at it as an alternative like this is my two choices and it requires discipline, right? Like discipline, motivation only lasts so long. Discipline is something that's like it's hard, a lot harder to do. And, and like even me, I, I don't do strict carnivore all the time anymore. I get it. It's like I want to enjoy life. I don't want to be like craving things all the time. And I think the human diet is supposed to be a little bit flexible metabolically. But start baseline at carnivore and then add a couple of things and then keep like playing with your, your diet. And just shop the outside of the aisles. Like, stop buying packaged foods. Stop buying pa- like you man, like creamers for coffee. All of them are disgusting. They're all full of poisons. It's just so there's so much stuff. There's no reason for there to be these poisons. And, and like a lot of countries in the world, Italy and England, France, they don't allow these things in their food. We put them on everything. And seed oils used to be a, 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 a lubricant for manufacturing, and now we put it on our food. <laughs> it's wrong it's just wrong like it, it, there doesn't need to be sunflower seed oil or canola oil or safflower oil or peanut oil on raisins i just have want dried raisins i don't want your like so when, when you're buying if you're buying dried fruit don't just buy dried fruit look at the label it should have one ingredient to say dried raisins that's it if it says dried raisins sunflower seed oil or some weird chemical added for whatever don't buy it you could find your and like i got like a dehydrator you can make your own fruit you can do all that yourself you know you're right you're right it requires discipline and meal prep but it's better than getting sick you know 
That's awesome. I got one last thing. You have so many things going on. How do you manage time management? Like you're so good at it. You have time to go like take pictures of birds. Like, yeah, I'm so fascinated by you. Uh, well, I, it sure it helps. It I don't have children, so like I know you got you have children, right? Radio yeah. kids. Yes. Yeah. So you guys have our family, man. And if I did, man, I'd be dedicated to that. You know, like, um, like I have students in jujitsu. I'm dedicated to teaching that. But um, in a lot of the things that any anything that I can run, like I told you, decentralize your leadership, and it frees up your your time. Like, don't micro. I'm not a micromanager at all. I'm the opposite. Like, whatever the opposite of a micromanager is, that's what I am. Like, I I want to, you know, I want to talk about problem solving and let people connect to their own imaginations and have their own input in their systems. And like, I'll, I'll, I'll end with like one real quick story, like, like super quick story. So this is an example. Like, so when I, when I work at Pearl street grill and brewery, so if you guys are from Buffalo, maybe you've heard of Pearl street grill and brewery. I was thrown into management when I was really young there because they trusted me. They're like, all right, the old, the old management was stealing and doing stuff. And it was almost bankrupt. The company was like, had no, nothing going on. And they're like, you know, we trust you. You're a manager. And I was like, well, I don't know how to manage. Like, like, so at my first manager meeting, I passed out questionnaires, you know, and then there are the ideas that came from that really worked well. And I started like going like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this more often. There's a book called the the starfish and the spider, the unstoppable power of leaderless organizations. So I read that and I was like, how can I apply that to my life? And then I just started applying it to like my, you know, any little system that I was in charge of or big system. And I started listening. So um, one really cool example was, uh, the host stand, when you walk in the restaurant, you know, when you used to come in and you asked for a table, we were on a wait, we'd write down your name and then we'd give you a pager. And then like when your table was ready, we hit a beep and it would be, you know, you used to go to, to red lobster, you get a lobster claw pager. Right. And then like when your dinner was ready with that beep and you'd go back up and be like, all right. So we had those, but they weren't lobster claws. They were just little pagers and we kept losing them all the time. And so at one of my meetings, I was like, how can we, uh, make this problem so we don't lose these pagers we spent like thousands of dollars last year replacing pagers and one of the, the girl hosts was like well why don't we use a cell phone and just text people right when their table's ready and i was like that's a really good idea so like this is how long ago it was we used like a flip phone at the host net. and when people come in we'd write their number down and we'd text them the letter r when their table was ready you know be like beep, boop, boop. and then some dude came in just randomly from like new york city and was like we could turn this into an app and like make this be an app. And I was like, that's a cool idea. So we built an app for like, it was the iPad 2, like the second version. That's how long ago this was, right? Now there's like, you know, this is an iPhone 15 or whatever. I don't even know what they're on. But like uh, we did build on the iPad 2 and then we were the ground floor for that. But you know, we, we worked on results. We worked out, we talked back and forth, just like developing a jiu-jitsu position. We we're like, all right, let's change this on here and change that. We've made a really nice app that came backwards, just like by asking like, how do you do this? That app got bought out by another company, and now, now pretty much every country in the or every restaurant in the country uses a, this app or Open Table or a similar app that I never saw before. Our our restaurant was ground floor in terms of me looking, and I looked like when I travel, I go to restaurants. That's what I do. I go to restaurants, kind of see what they're doing, try to steal ideas, and I never saw anyone doing that. The idea just came from listening to a problem that we had and a solution that came from decentralized leadership and then implementing and then believing in, in the people. And then I'd take votes too. I'd ask people like, this is a good idea. And everyone would be like, yes. So we'd vote on the idea and then I'd fight for the idea. Like I didn't have say in like everything, like the money, like situation, like I couldn't take our money and just throw it randomly at stuff. I'd had to fight for it. Be like, Hey, 
you know, but there are so many ideas that Pearl Street came from this way, putting the patios on Pearl Street and like building banquet rooms. And like, there's just so many good ideas that came from listening that, you know, working with ownership and, and decentralized leadership and pulling back and forth, we came up with really cool ideas, you know? So if you're in a position of leadership, decentralize yourself. I love it. Thank you very much. That's Josh Ross Ketri. Had him on the show. He's like someone I want to model myself after. Uh, right now we got the um, submission circuit sign up, like just flowing through. It's in the comments. So if you click on the link, it'll take you right to the sign up. So make sure you sign up. You got till Tuesday. Uh, I got a couple more people from my gym signing up. I'm, I was going to sign up right after we get off of here. So thank you so much for your time. Dan King says thank you. Like it was an awesome podcast, Josh. Thank you for coming on. Guys, thanks so much for having me. Both of you guys, like, keep doing, like, what you guys are doing, man. Like, talking, this is how we, we think, you know, this is uh, a system that can't be controlled. Conversations between people, podcasts, like, just spreading, you know, talking to people. And keep doing what you're doing with K4, guys. You're doing an awesome job. The brands yeah. putting Buffalo on the map for MMA. Like, there's people, like, right now, everybody wants to fight on K4. They know. It's just a sweet event. And you guys are, like, the voices of it. So, like, keep rocking. And, and guys, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. No, we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. Thank no, Josh. Ross Ketri. He's out. See ya. How's it going, Ray? Oh, yeah. You going to diet and get healthy? Oh, yeah. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to try it out. Uh, Mark Coleman sent me a message on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. You're like, how you, how you guys doing? I'm like, we good. But Dude, uh, just him this. He'll probably be all about He's doing a diet. He's really doing a cardboard diet. And oh, yeah. yeah he really is. So. I definitely want to try it out, Cave man. I got some yeah. steaks. It's um, tough. It's so like the eating part isn't tough. Just the meal prep is tough. Like it, it takes a lot of planning to do it strict. Um, the way I'm doing it now, it's not so bad. I just make ground beef and I have fruit. And and when I'm feeling yummy, I get steak. I've been I've been fasting though. I do like a 16 hour fasting, mm-hmm. and a few weeks ago I was like 260. Now I'm like 230, 34 now. Nice. So nice. I, lost, I lost a few pounds there. All right. Do we uh do we have um uh Joe Taylor for next week yet? Uh I think so. yeah, we do. We do. Uh hopefully next week, guys, we're gonna have uh, Joe Taylor on to talk about his uh his fights the weekend after that. So we got a lot of stuff going on. We got oh I forgot to ask Josh about grappling industries. I'll have to ask him myself. <laughs> huh. No, they they always uh they always do their tournament one week after Josh's. And oh I, uh, okay. I wanted to ask him about that, and I I totally slipped my mind. Wait, they come to Buffalo? Yeah, yeah, yeah they come to Buffalo. Oh, so wow. they're, they're, this week is uh, submission the submission circuit one, Josh Cutry's, and uh, that's the one like I try and get all my guys to do. And then the week after that is the Grappling Industries one, and uh, they're they're always the week after. I don't know why. Uh, they're, they're like okay guy, you know. I mean, we did uh, Sean. We hung out with Sean when he was in, and we talked about him on the podcast about yeah. traveling industries. There's nothing like it's great to have more uh, jujitsu in the area. It's just, uh, I, but I don't think Josh uh, work with them no more. <laughs> no, I mean no, Sean. Sean. Sean no, no, he don't work with them no more either. He had a falling out too. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so that's where we're at. We'll be back next week. Well, hopefully we'll have Joe Taylor to talk about the fights. Uh, Butch is listening. Butch Chadwick. Talked about him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we told his story. Like, it was awesome that he got to compete in the tournament. And then, like, he got to fight. And there's a picture of him fighting right now. And, yeah. Like, it's probably not good that he got to fight because he killed his poor opponent. But, you know, like, 
is what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> All right, that's it. K-Man's Corner. We're out. We out of here.